Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to another episode of the 2A Lifestyle. Uh, if you are going to be watching this on video, you are in for a fucking treat. And first off, I will say this. I know I am sucking balls on trying to upload videos from since we started recording them onto the YouTube page. It will happen, I promise you. Uh, but this one, I'll probably just go ahead and upload as is just because it is that amazing. Yes, it uh, is. It's something that Mike found just fucking off uh, in our uh, digital conference meeting that we could be in together mode. And it looks like we were sitting at a tiki bar, yep. uh, all, all three of us. And I say all three of us. Uh, we have Eric from Nelson Gunsmithing. Uh, he is part of our Meme Lord Alliance. Go ahead and say hey, Eric, and then introduce yourself a little bit. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm Nelson Gunsmithing out of South Idaho. General Purpose Gunsmith. I do a little bit of everything, and I'm really glad to be on the show. Thank you. Awesome. And in the main segment, we have a special guest. You know, we had an amazing, uh, amazing interview with Dave uh, last time from Silencer Shop. Uh, I actually fucked up the Silencer Shop versus Silencer Co. one time. Mike actually uh, held it up pretty good. I know that was his yeah. biggest fear the whole time. Well, dude, I actually I fucked up the night before because I thought it was Silencer Co. So I was doing all that research into Silencer Co. and not Silencer Shop because I misheard you. Jesus. So we got onto it. I'm like, oh, well, you say misheard me. It was a fucking text message. So what do you mean misheard me? You mean you misread it? I can't read. I'm retarded and I dropped out of high school. <laughs> so uh, we got another interesting interview with Nathan. Now it's just going to be me interviewing Nathan because we interview our guests whenever we can. Uh, during you know what's available for them Nathan is an author for a new book in regards to uh, John Moses Browning it is pretty interesting so that's gonna be our main segment afterwards we'll have our normal uh, normal you know podcast show that we do but let's go ahead and get into the house intro uh, if you haven't already go ahead and check out social media we are on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, uh, Parlor, in, uh, Twitter, everything under 2A Lifestyle. You can check out Mike at Just Pews on Instagram and Facebook and on Instagram at TacCat Actual. Uh, now, Eric, I know I'll go ahead and plug you in as well. I know you have Na uh, Nelson Gunsmithing on Facebook. Are you on Instagram or anything else? I don't use it enough. Um, Facebook's the best way to get a hold of me. I do have a Patreon. And as of the last couple of weeks, right. I'm, I'm now a contributor for Just Pews as well. So you can find uh, some more of my political stuff there, long-form writing. Awesome. And speaking of Just Pews, you can check out all of our stuff at JustPews.com. Uh, now, Mike, i got to say that recent article that I wrote, uh, Handheld versus Weapon Mountain Light, that was actually yeah. the most viewed article uh, that I shared on my page that I wrote. So how did it, how is it doing on the, the website? Honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't looked. I've you been, son of I've, a been bitch. <laughs> I've been waiting to look because I know it's probably going to be in the couple hundreds of range. Okay. It's going to be one of like four articles I've gotten more than a hundred views. I got you. So, uh, check out justpews.com to check all of our opinions out and all that good shit. Also, I have a Patreon account as well. If any you guys want to give us anything, we greatly appreciate it. I just posted in there recently that you know we're looking at doing something just for Patreon subscribers. So if you're interested in that, uh, go ahead and click on Patreon and subscribe to us. Anything you guys give us is greatly appreciated. You can give us as little as one dollar a month. Uh, we'd literally just use it for the podcast. Uh, you know. Uh, the publishing and then shot show coming up it is guaranteed i am going to shot show 
I uh, went ahead and booked my Airbnb, so I will be getting some good content uh, out there for you guys from there. Let's and, hope you and, don't get murdered in your Airbnb. Uh, well, bring it on, motherfucker. That's all I can say. Uh, you know, better better get me with that first fucking shot because I'm a big motherfucker. <laughs> and, and if you don't you give me like with that first dad. shot, man, <laughs> if you don't give me with that first shot, man, it's gonna be hell on you. So. Uh, anyway, so anything you guys give me on Patreon, I greatly appreciate it. 2A Lifestyle Podcast. Uh, and I think that's it. Oh, uh, wherever you're listening to this, go ahead and, and subscribe. That is the best way to keep up with a you know the new po- or the new podcast episodes that come out. And if you guys can, leave us a review. That is the best way for people to find us when they're looking for gun-related content on their podcast platforms. Uh, we are up to uh, like... You know, we, I think we got like two or three new five-star reviews on iTunes uh, last time I checked. And honestly, that's where it really helps out. If you guys don't listen to us on iTunes, please do me a favor. Download that fucking piece of shit, you know, app for five minutes. Uh, look up to a lifestyle. Leave us a review, and you can delete that motherfucker right afterwards. Uh, but, I mean, that really is what helps us uh, be discovered by people looking for gun-related content. So, with that, let's go ahead and get into the interview with Nathan Gornstein. Get into the main segment of the podcast. We have a very interesting guest, an unusual guest uh, for our podcast. We have Nathan Gorns, uh, and is it Steen or Stein? Uh, Steen. Steen. Okay. And I got to say, I did some, you know, tried to to know a little bit about the author, you know, the author, the guest period, because you know, normally when we have guests on, they're either uh, a manufacturer or a dealer or a uh, part of a company, you know, that, that deals something in firearms. So mm-hmm. you're actually our first author guest. Yeah, and I, I, you know, tried to do some research on you. And I even went back and found two clips in C-SPAN for uh, <laughs> where you were That's talking about. I think it was, yeah, I think it was like 1994 uh, Pennsylvania senatorial races. So right. I heard it. I've heard it. Uh, Steen and Science. So I wanted to make sure I got it right. And uh, to the list, kind of, you know, had issues with my main setup uh, with internet, but I didn't want to uh, waste Nathan's time, so I want to go ahead and try and get taken care of. So if the audio is a little off, it's on my as my backup uh, setup for recording these uh, interviews. So uh, if the sounds a little off, uh, that's about it. But Nathan, go ahead and tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I uh, spent a career in newspaper in a couple of different states: uh, Massachusetts, Delaware, Philadelphia. Uh, and I got into writing about firearms, researching uh, Colts, actually, for a whole different, whole different year I had. And I sort of went down an internet rabbit hole. And I knew, and looking into Browning, I knew a bit about him at BAR. And I had never understood the extent of his inventions. And I started wondering, well, how did he do this? Uh, and I went looking for a book, because lots of us probably know about the guns, how to how to maintain them, how to modify them, they did. But I, I wanted something that told me how he did it, extraordinary, and there really wasn't it. So I decided to go ahead and write that book. It's my second book. Uh, first one was about a, what was once a famous 1930s crime spree involving some of my relatives in Boston. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I was looking around for a second uh, book, and I, and I was very lucky. I cooperated from the Browning family, 
uh, FN in Belgium. So it was turned out to turned out well. And so when you said that you were initially looking at what was your initial book topic and what you know kind of led you to go this route instead, because I did notice that you only had two published books that I found. The first one was a uh, machine uh, gun typewriter or Tommy typewriter. Tommy gun winter. Tommy gun winter. Was. Right. Yeah. I am. Um, well, what I had done in book I was a former police officer, retired guy, and his family was connected to Wyatt Earp. And he suggested that I should do something about the West. And another friend of mine suggested a Pony Express. So I was looking around in the West and I came across Wyoming Range in 90. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So I started doing research and I figured I had to uh, ride a horse and shoot a six. Uh, so it was the winter time. I didn't want to ride up, but I bought a Colt, a single action army, and uh, which, of course, was not the gun to start shooting with. Uh, I hadn't picked up a gun since I was a kid. Um, and so that's so uh, that's when I started looking to guns. I'm interested in lots of different When I got the Colt, I, uh, I wondered about where it came from, who invented it, and, and that's how I ended up with Browning. And I, I realized after a while, I mentioned to a, a friend of mine, well, you know, it's this guy Browning. You could say he started World War One and won World War Two. And my friend said, "You should write a book about that." You know, that's a pretty good idea because Browning really did do. So I can go into it in more detail as we talk. But Browning's impact on world history is pretty extraordinary. One guy in the book, I, I, I compare him. As, you know, the modern world, the airplanes as the foundation. But after that, it was good to ill by fire. There hasn't been a, a major historic event the 1890s that wasn't uh, impacted in some fashion uh, by autom- by auto-loading firearms. We got past lever action rifles. Um, and so Browning's the guy. He created a lot of the fundamental mechanics behind modern firearms, including, as again, as your listeners may know, the 1911 pistol. Well, actually, his first uh, handgun was made in 1894, but he came up with the basic handgun design and mechanism still used today for most uh, semi-automatic uh, I mean, it's been changed. Little things have been modified here and there. Like, again, they got rid of what was a link and use a cam-like device now. But it's essentially his. And were you a, you know, you said you hadn't really touched a gun since you were a kid. Have you always been kind of into firearms? Uh, I know you're, you know, an older gentleman. So gun gun laws have changed, you know, over yeah, in your yeah, lifetime yeah. in New England. Uh, but, I mean, like right now, if you live in New England, uh, you really have to have a fence into firearms to get into firearms just because firearms aren't readily available in New England. So were you always, you know, interested in the guns or is this something you just got into when you started researching your books? I was always interested in firearms as part of, uh, I've always been history, but I never, you know, you live your life and you're doing a whole variety of different things. And I never had cause to pick up a firearm. I started with a book and I've always been, I've always done things with mixed cars in college, or small sailboats, or plywood, or sailboat. So the thing about firearms, the, carpentry, the thing about firearms is that if you really get into it, it's a tactile thing that you can work on and see how it works. And that's one of the big things that attracted me to it. And one of the things as I understood that, that I wanted to stand how Browning did it. And, you know, how does one guy go ahead and do these things? And I found in doing the the book, I found a lot of stuff that folks haven't really known about. Uh, there were, uh, first off, the, uh, two of Browning's grandchildren, one who's since passed away, unfortunately, um, gave me access or early access to 40 boxes of files and sitting in family basement. The eight, 1970s, the company was sold to FN. Um, and that has a lot of about his life and that people have never known. There's that material. Then there were files from FN in Belgium, over to Belgium for a week. Very nice folks, got a lot of good meals <laughs> served in the company dining room. Uh, and they, they went through their files. Unfortunately, a lot was 
but they did come up with memos where FN executives and cult executives talk about business with the Browning, you know, talk about Browning's personality, how he reacted to certain of his life. That was very helpful. Uh, and the other thing was, folks probably don't know that he was involved in an eight-year-long legal battle, George Luger. I say it's right, the guy that invented the Luger pistol. And it was over a tiny bit of metal. It's sort of what makes the Luger a Luger. Um, it, that makes the, the toggle link action compact used. Browning had invented something, used the same action upside down for a shotgun earlier. And he had already applied a patent. When Luger found out, he panicked and was worried that he wouldn't be able to sell his pistol in the States. Anyway, it was an eight-year-long legal battle. Browning sort of won, not ultimately, and I won't explain all this now. People have to read the book to find out the details. But, but um, in the course of that, that legal battle, Browning and his brothers, instrumental in his company, had to uh, give depositions. Two, one from 1901, from 1907, two very lengthy depositions by Browning, his brother Matthew, who was a, uh, they had the same father and same mother, and a half-brother Ed, different mothers. And, and friends and uh, other folks gave extensive um, interviews to Luger's attorneys about how they worked. So for the first time, we have, because Browning never, we have Browning's brothers talking about how the process of guns, when he, the timeline of his, uh, for example, his involvement with FN in Belgium. There were great interviews with um, Matt and Ed talking about how their brother invented. They were there and they helped them do it. Uh, so it's it's really quite fascinating. You know, Browning's blueprint didn't have working drawing. Yeah, he didn't have a change order. He didn't have, he invented these mechanisms in his head. And then with the help of his brother's working prototype, fully worked and sent that off to the factory. So when Winchester built uh, the model 1886 liver action rifle, for example, what they got from Browning was a rifle. And then they had a reverse engineer make changes to make it uh, uh workable for mass production line, but designs were, the designs were all his. And that's quite extraordinary skill. I mean, most folks don't have, and it was one of the bases of Browning's, um, Browning's creativity. And, uh, you know, you said you worked in journalism for the most of your career, and, and being, you know, sort of interested in guns, and especially starting to write a book about guns, because uh, there was actually one editorial that you wrote for the Philadelphia Inquirer, I believe it was in 2017, is what I read of yours. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Where you said gu guns are here in the state because obviously Philadelphia, uh, you know, is very uh, you know, gun control, pro uh, gun restriction for gun ownership, private gun ownership. Uh, I mean, how did that work out in your career as a journalist and author? Well, you know, I, I wrote a lot about firearms, the impact of this as a reporter. When I, I wrote the piece you mentioned for the Inquirer after I'd already the bio, and um, and uh, I did it because I realized there was this connect between um, firearms. A lot of people I knew had no idea why people might be in firearms. And while I hadn't used them before, I did understand the sort of whole sensation of machine. Uh, and that's what firearms really are. They're a they're machine. Uh, and so when I started learning about them and working, I... Um, I realized, well, this is interesting, and I've, it helps explain one part of America, the part of America. So that's why I wrote an op-ed piece inquire about 
my experience in firearms. At that point, I was doing um, um, bullseye shooting. So these days, I USP and uh, steel. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. I'm not that good. I'm <laughs> too slow. <laughs> um, once in a while, I might yeah. be a class. Um, uh, and it was a real education, learning how to use a firearm uh, uh, under pressure against the clock required me to really think different than it than it does than than writing does when you're doing I'm writing I'm, my mind is of all and takes everything in and squishes it together that and and words come out but I found that with firearms as you know and again you you have to be very linear than that and you have to do it quickly and that was real a real difficulty making my mind work that way because I just hadn't had to think that and so that was not real I mean when I did woodworking sailing yeah there's some of that but not at the that and not hand eye coordination feet it's just a whole different thing than than other skills uh i found but it's very interesting so i enjoy it i still do it i i've made a I made a couple of nights of 80 kits because i wanted to uh one works really well the other one didn't. um well, i was about uh, to say that's pretty impressive because 80 percent kits for 1911s if nobody i mean a lot of people have done 80% kids like Glocks or mm -hmm. those 80% on those, uh, those 1911s are very hard because I mean, it's very fine to machine. You know, if there's one thing that's a little off, it, so the other one keeps jamming, it's probably because there's just one minute detail that, you know, maybe without a you know, measure that you couldn't tell, uh, well, you know, it's, it's a little off. Yeah. For your listeners, I'll, I'll tell them why. The first one I made millimeter, I purchased the upper and the bottom to factory. And I mm. think that has contributed to, it's relatively reliable, but it once was, but when I did the second one in 45, I purchased a frame slide from the same factory. You know, I had to do the 80% work or the 20% work on the bottom, but I think that that maybe I got better, but somehow I think it's the same. So a bit of advice to folks if they decide to go that route, get the jigs. Can't do it without the jigs. So and some people might do it with mill. I think that would be really hard. Uh, and and buy buy the buy the the main single. But I I gotta admit it. that's pretty impressive. Uh, I did it because. I wanted to know how Browning worked. He's a guy who did this amazing stuff. And, you know, the more I got into firearms, the more I saw type of tolerance. And so here's a guy, he built his first gun. And, well, his first, he built a knockoff shotgun when he was, but he built his first, his first manufactured 1879. And, and he and his brothers built it in a crude factory together in Ogden, Utah. And then I, you know, he, they did all their other point of relatively crude workshop. And I wanted to know, it really gave me a sense of, yeah, this is, this is what it took to make something like that. And, you know, for me, it was relatively easy. I, I just followed the instructions Browning had invented. And that's, again, the thing. You know, one of the things I talk about in the book, the ability to think in dimension. As an example, I sort of use a rubric, you know, six sides, and it has 54 different um, little colored squares on it. You have to move it with your hands. And, you know, Browning could head could have done a couple of same time because he could imagine, could imagine whole mechanism head. His, his uh, granddaughter, a great story about him coming over to her mother, her brother's uh, stepdaughter, not stepdaughter, um, daughter. Um, and they'd come in night and they'd sit and lean on his, his head in his hand and tap his head that all night long as he saw things with his head. It drove her mother crazy, but that's what he did. That's how he invent these things. He'd walk around town, actually, and rub them together and think about how they interact and what else can be done to them. And then when he um, was ready to make something, uh, he'd do some rough sketches sort of like his own shorthand, and then he'd make templates, uh, uh, you know, sort of one-dimensional templates and check it that way. And then he'd, he and his brother Ed would sit at a milling machine or a lathe 
Browning would tell him would make it, and Browning's, you know, to look at the templates, listen to Browning's description, and to go through it together, making one thing, making the parts. And that's really extraordinary. You know, I, I, I don't know if people could do that these days, but we're so used to computers and that sort of thing. To have someone who imagine those things in his mind, one of the extraordinary things about them, one of the reasons I want them. Now, I definitely got to give my uh, listeners a warning. So uh, I told you before we started, you know, I'm a history major in my undergrad. Uh, so a humongous history nerd. I've done many research projects myself. So I understand, you know, researching primary resources and secondary resources and, and just honestly work it takes to write a book. So you, know, I, you talked to you talked to Browning's granddaughter, you FN in Belgium and looked at their resources. What other type of primary use for this book? Did you because I know, especially reading the book, I knew really, you know, and honestly, after reading your book, I'll say that Winchester seems like it wouldn't have been a company nearly as long as it has been without. Uh, Browning's patents just kept buying and buying and buying and buying because he just didn't want no you know other competitors to get it. So, uh, you know, what other type of primary yeah. would you get? Because that's really what I research studies in college. Yeah, that's. Let me just stay with Browning with Winchester for a sec. They, you're right. You know, they had the 1873 was limited because it only shot a pistol caliber cartridge, and they they were unable to make the high powered rifle. They came up with attempts, and none of them. And I don't know what would have happened without Browning. It's a really good good point you make. I, they may not have survived a lot. But sources, because all the exception may be one, if we fire on the so. Um, um, so the main sources uh, in order, I went to Utah and I went to the Browning. I was hooked up when they knew, knew what I was doing. A person there knew, knew Bruce Browning, the grandson since passed away, was interested in having a, a book done because he thought there hadn't been. And he was right. There hadn't been a biography of his grandfather. And so they we actually these 40 boxes of records. And that includes early contracts with uh, Winchester, which changed some of the important history of Winchester. Um, letters between Browning and attorneys that talk about how he got in. Uh, there's 40 or so, I think a little more than that, personal letter, uh, uh, sons and nephews that, that really give you a sort of sense into how he viewed the world. Uh, they're very technical. A lot of it is technical. He goes on at length about a about uh, about a, a magazine spring for a British version of the BAR. They were made. Uh, that I give that as one example. Um, and there's other, you know, the 50 caliber machine gun started in 1918, and it, he had a working model, but the war ended, financing fell apart, and the sort of the finished design work dragged up years. So the letters are interesting because he talks about his, the difficulty. Um, making the gun usable because the, the recoil was so great. You couldn't keep it on target. He comes up with, um, the, for folks who have shot it, there's a buffer, an oil bar, and that was um, things they came up with after World War One to reduce the shock of the recoil and make to hold the firearm on target. So those doc, those were really in terms of the, um, the other thing was the FN doc. His, um, when his brother died, Matt, in 1923, Browning died in 1926, but really aged. It really took wind out of him. His brother died. And, and it's it's not surprising. They're very close. But to have FN cult guys writing letters back and forth about that, you know, brings in an immediacy. And they say, you know, Browning's no longer the same. You know, and when they write about that, you you have you don't have to guess. You know that, that that's what saw. Uh, that when they dealt with them. So the FN document was very helpful. And then the other um, important thing, I mentioned it briefly, but I'll go into detail. When he had this patent fight, they had to do deficits. And this is, it's really unknown. Um, in all the many books about this, this case is sort of mentioned, sentence 
But it's an absolutely fascinating case because, it's, as you know, there's a whole chapter on it. It's about Luger and Browning using each other a theft. You stole my idea. No, you stole my idea. Luger was worried about not being able to sell his pistols in America. This legal battle, this shipboard uh, conversation, or lack thereof. Browning is one of the salesmen for Luger. Uh, but in it, uh, them talking about how they work. And, you know, Browning never gave a formal interview. He'd talk, make a commentary report us off and on over the and he'd be very talkative, off the, even off the record. He would never talk about So and because he didn't have blues, he didn't have working drawings, when he passed away, there were no Browning papers, the Wright brothers or Edison Ford. You know, the operation at that time, Browning, two brothers, that was it. They invented this stuff and they sent it over to the factories. Now, Browning would go help put his guns into production. He spent most of World one in Connecticut helping Colt, Winchester, and other manufacturers turn his prototypes of Browning automatic rifle and 30 caliber machine gun into production-ready uh, firearm. But so those were the were some of the big things. The other, um, there's a lots of archivals. Um, oh, I should mention this. There was, you know, how did Browning get hooked up with Winchester is always a, a matter of some debate. And I found yeah. some letters in a Winchester archive written by the guy who was then head of Winchester and made the deal with Browning. And no one had ever seen these. You know, he traveled by train. So, you know, he's going to San Francisco and he stops in Ogden, Utah in the morning and leaves in the evening. And in between, he was deal with Browning and changes Browning's life and changes Winchester's life. And his, his letters about that trip, um, no one had ever seen. Never, so I, I oh, that's cool. The, I quote from them in the book, too. And, um, and the other thing is, you know, and I... I thank these guys in the book um, um, because um, I helped with my research a lot. Very thick, very detailed books about Browning's military firearm. Great technical experts, and they use a lot of the verbatim uh, military or army ordinance, and those were, they really helped fill out the time help describe it. Exactly, like you were talking about with the military records, because there was a lot of firearm design that were in military service, but right. you know, the military, and I'm sure Except for maybe the the depositions themselves for the patent uh, lawsuit, government records are very dry. They're just dates, names. You know, obviously money is is uh, counted, but it doesn't really give the story. And that's what an uh, you know an author or researcher really wants is they want that story. Uh, so definitely, was wondering if if military records played a, a role in the book. They they did um, the ordnance department reports where they talked about testing of Browning's were very useful. The other thing that I found up in Connecticut, um, Colt, a lot of Colt records from the, the company's been sold so many times. But I found these really amazing sort of after action uh, soldiers in the Philippines, Puerto Rico, and out west mm. when they were given various versions of Browning's uh, Colt pistols. You know the. 1911 came out, three or four different version prototypes were made in batches of a thousand or two, given to the troops to use and critique. And there were these great letters from soldiers who write, wrote back to um, Colt saying what was good and bad about these with Browning's pistol. And uh, some great lines in there, like one of one fellow said, well, you know, the thing about a revolver is pull it out and shoot. And you got to be able to do that with Browning's one too, because uh, otherwise we're going to get killed. Uh, and that critique of the things that led Browning event to add the thumb safety uh, 1911. The earlier didn't have that, so he had a question with once you know, revolver on a double action, you're rotating the cylinder, put the hammer down on the empty cylinder, safe to carry, and then uh, and then pull the trigger, and then the hammer the cylinder rotates and a fresh cartridge comes up underneath the hammer. But in a pistol, 
um, to keep it uh, uh, rounded out of the chamber, you can't, you have to, or to put a round in the chamber, you want to carry it without a round, and you have to slide each time. And so the soldiers, that was one of their big complaints. So when Browning added the, uh, the um, thumb safety, carry the gun with the pistol with a round in the chamber safely. Uh, uh, and so that was, that's, it came at the very end of the development of that, of that thing. So it was interesting to read, you know, actual soldier complaints about, you know, what didn't work version. Now, something that, you know, I have a Mormon friend and, you know, we're both gun guys and he always talks about how was a Mormon and you kind of went and bet in the book. And I know Mormon great records because, uh, you know, doing some genealogical research myself, uh, you know, the Mormon is something that you can always he- rely heavily on. They're very good at documenting. Uh, and, uh, John Browning, especially his father, uh, in re- reference their Mormon religion, I'm not bashing Mormons. Some of the nicest people I've met are, are Mormons. And, and like I said, not trying to bash the religion itself, but, you know, it's very interesting because, you know, Mormonism was a very new religion. And John Browning's father, and again, not trying to get into too much without, you know, trying to give away the book. But this is something that, you know, I guess I didn't really understand the aspect that Mormonism had with John Browning because, you know, John Browning was actually the his father's child, his second one, because his father did get into polygamy, which was prevalent in, you know, the early part of... So John Browning, dad actually, and third wife, and John Browning, the child of this. Correct. And then something else didn't even come to mind was, you know, Mormons, you know, if become a part of the leadership in the church, you know, John Browning was expected because his dad was one of the early members of the church of latter-day you know he was expected to be a leader and to do that you got to go on missions so he was gone for two years to georgia and then something that i thought was really interesting in your book is that he didn't start designing his first firearms until he was 21 and you know he wishes he would have done it at 19 and, and no telling what those two years of georgia took out of him. yeah it was actually um it was later than 21 he was probably let me think about it, it was probably 24 25 <laughs> Before, yeah. he, uh, before he designed his first firearm, and he could have done it earlier. Then, yeah, he, it's interesting when he comes back from his uh, missionary work in Georgia, which is pretty interesting. Your folks would get a kick out of reading what happened to him there. Um, and we won't go except it involves a mob armed with firearms. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that didn't like folks in the Mormon church. Um, but um, when he comes back, the beginning of his great creative surge over the next 10 or 15 years, he, uh, he creates the first gas-operated firearm. Uh, he creates the, his pistols. He creates the brand new automatic rifle. He creates the, the A5 semi-automatic shotgun. Winchester finally builds one of his pump-action shotguns. Just think about one guy doing all that. And a lot of key, even if the firearm shows up later, curve between roughly 1890, 1889, 90, and 19. For example, the 30 cal in, in World War one uh, was designed in 1900. I mean, it wasn't the final version, but he had a patent. He applied for a patent and got it in 01. And yeah, it went, and it changes before it went into production. But, you know, it's all. A lot of the important things happen in the time. You know, between, let's see, 1894, 95 and 901, he invents, uh, you know, Browning worked on multiple at the time. He invents, um, um, I'm not going to keep them all straight even, he invents the slide action pistol he invests the a5 shotgun he has the caliber machine gun uh, and i'm sure i'm forgetting something uh, <laughs> and he, oh yeah he, he does he's still doing lever action winchester he does becomes this popular pump action shotgun at that time uh so he's and he you know when he invented pistols he invented the ones uh, actually four different ones because his first pistol was gas operator a little flapper man um, um 
which worked, even though he dropped that for the recoil, you know, the tilting bar recoil we have now. But yeah, I mean, you're right. His last year is bullshit. And then when he went to uh, went on a mission, I think drove him later. And then something that we talked how basically Browning saved and basically kept it relevant as long as it did. And in the book, I mean, it clear you clearly made that Browning saved, which is amazing if you think about it, because FN is still a great company that produces, you know, great new firearms. There's a lot of uh, five seven eight fans. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah. there's also uh, the P90. Uh, they make the, uh, you know, um, 240, which ended up, repl- you know, being the replacement ultimately for John Browning's 30 cal uh, machine gun. Uh, it, it's it's very interesting. And so the pistol that you that he created was in 32 or 380, if I can't remember, it was one one of the two uh, calibers. 32, the original 32. one. 32, and it was such a, a huge seller that all all firearms in France were you know noted as Le Browning. You know, it was just synonymous. Like we think of old Wild West guns, we all call them Colts, even though they're probably Colts, Smith and Wessons, whatever it may be. We just kind of became synonymous with Colt. Firearms synonymous with Browning in Europe. And the one story that I, I was reading when I started reading, that you kind of ended up confirming. Like you said, the firearm that started World War One was made by Browning, the FN pocket pistol. The 1910. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And uh, one one story that my that and this is one of my favorites said being a big history uh, is that uh, you know, the Black Hand that attempted to assassinate uh, Franz Ferdinand that day, you know, they failed to the the mayor. Uh, in the Serb, you know, the Serb town where he was at, you know, complaining, the driver took a wrong turn. And, you know, by this time, they attempted to assassinate with grenades and, and they just gave up. Uh, and so in the name of the, the assassin himself is escaping my head right now, but uh, uh, he was at, Prince. Yep. He yeah. was literally, you know, he's one. Oh, it failed. We'll, we'll just leave. So he decided I'm hungry. I'm gonna get something to eat. He went yeah. to a sandwich shop, yeah. came out of the sand. There's friends right there. Oh, snap. Dropped, dropped his sandwich. Pulled out his, uh, you know, FN, uh, you know, Browning Design 1910, and started World War One right there. Yeah, so. that's what happened. I mean, they, they, the, the original Browning, I have one right in my hand, you know, was not his most elegant design. It was very nicely made. Uh, he, uh, he made, uh, FN made that 1900, the really tiny 25 caliber. You shoot it with two, with two fingers, you know, to grip it. <laughs> Yeah, you use your middle finger on the what amounts to a tiny little magazine, and and your uh, your your finger on the trigger. But they sold the half million of between 1905 and 1914 in Europe. They were amazingly popular. Became they became you know fashion accessories, and then they wanted to get a more sort of military. And Browning came up with a more elegant design, and that became um, the FN 1910, also the FN 22. It's the same thing pretty much and it was in production for years but that was sort of the sleekest firearm in europe at that time so when the black cancer terrorist group wanted to kill the archduke they got the best gun around one of the absolutely things in the book was that his first gun sold three quarters of a million and stop as another edition i'll say that 1900 was made in uh, afghanistan pakistan china for decades even north korea you know so stayed in production long after fn stopped but um um, it became the weapon of choice. He World War One anarchy in Europe was a huge deal across Europe, and they were busy knocking off government people. And they all used Browning's 1900. There's a great article talking about conspiracy theories in uh, I think at the London Times saying 
you know, this is proof that all these anarchists, central head, they all use the same gun. And I, I don't think it was that. I think, think they all use the best gun they could. If you're going to go revolutionary and you're going to put your life on the line, why go with second to be very practical about it? But yeah, so Browning's quotes from black newspapers right about all the Browning firearm political uh, violence in Europe at that time. There's a line in a Utah paper about the Browning of the Browning's inventing another gun to depopulate the courts. <laughs> sort of dark humor about what was going on over there. Um, and and kind of like the last story that I want to talk about, again, not trying to the book, because I'm telling right, you, this book is, is great. You know, even if you're not a history guy, if you're a gun guy, you know, definitely read this book because Browning is, you know, had very little technological change for 500s and firearms. You know, it was, you know, match lock, flint lock, and then the biggest change was percussion. And it wasn't until people like Browning, Maxim, Luger, uh, all those people came around that firearms had really started coming around. But Browning was obviously the American head honcho of firearms renovation, but was the personal tragedy that ended up having in the later part of the book in regards to his uh, daughter and his nephew. Yeah, it's it's really too bad because um, in some ways Browning had, they were de- they were honest, but they were tough sometimes, but they were decent guys. And uh, his his daughter married a fellow who I mean I think all the evidence points to him marrying her because the Browning had money, and at that point he was pretty wealthy because of royalties from from Colt, uh, FN, Remington uh, for the most part, and. And so he was an alcoholic husband, and he probably beat his wife. So that he never explicitly said in the trials that come out, but that's the, what it sounds like. And so she's coming home back to the family, her mother and father with the kids. And so um, one of Browning's sons and his brother's oldest son, Matt's oldest son, go down to the lawyer, pick up um, their sister, uh, niece and uh, first cousin i'm sorry and the guy is drunk and one thing leads to another and according to testimony in court he, he reached for a gun and mariner owned the son shot him and killed him and it became a sort of lost to history a huge murder trial and uh, the two men were acquitted after an hour was after an hour was uh deliberation by the jury but it was very sad for the family it was one of the things that really you know it was uh very tough in the family both families, you know, you, know, you lose your son, even if he wasn't the best guy in the world, he's still your son. Um, so uh, it was a real tragedy. Two families, three families, two Browning brothers and the and the uh, the other other family. But the book, you know, has some talks. Yeah, and just you go into pretty good detail about how this was almost like. You know, the only thing I can you know, probably say of it with celebrity, you know, obviously like O.J. Simpson or the Michael Jackson trial, you know, that we've been in our lifetime. I mean, it was, you know, Browning, huge name in, in the United States. And then this happened. It was covered nationwide. And, and it was a very followed trial. A lot of press he said a lot of people were trying to get statements from Ms., uh, John Browning. He wasn't a very public figure very much. It was more so Matt, his brother. It was his, you know, his son that was being charged with the murder. So not a whole lot he could say about it. No, no. I, one of the family members told me that Browning tried to go to court for the trials. He famous after World War One, and this was in 1922, no, 23. And, um, and he couldn't go because he'd get, you know, beached by, um, by people. He did not go. Um, so, you know, it was sad. But it was. I, was tell you, I'm telling you, this is, this is an amazing book. If you're into guns, I hear you racking, racking and dry firing there. So I am. You know, my, this is this. It's the 1908. It's the Brody's yeah. first pistol. It's my 19. I'm holding a speak. 
sort of give me inspiration yeah. for describing what he did. That's awesome. Definitely check out uh, the book. It is on Amazon. It's in uh, Books a Million. I saw uh, yep. Amazon. Any, you can get it anywhere you want to get. Twenty four ninety nine. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. even on Audible. That's how I listen. Uh, yeah. So it was perfect. Uh, this past weekend, I had a bunch of honeydews, so I was just knocking them out to the book, and it was a good enough book that I mean, I got lost and flew by, and it was it was a really great book. Uh, so check much. it out. It's on Amazon. Books a Million. Audible, all the main platforms. Where can they find you, Nathan? Uh, you get a website, you got social media. I have a website, gorandine.com. It's probably the best way that uh, you can send an email. Uh, and uh, I'm on social media, though I'm not a great Facebook guy. And I don't have a Twitter, so don't look for me. <laughs> but I'm on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, the book is called The Guns of yeah. John Moses Browning, Whose Firearms to the World by Nathan Gorenstein. Nathan, I greatly appreciate you coming on. I, I really appreciate you having me on And I know everybody else, even if you're not into guns, if you're just into history, especially military history, you know, this is a very multifaceted book. If you're into guns, if you're into history, if you're into military history, you're going to love this book. So check it out. Nathan, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me on. Have a good day. You too. Bye. All right, that was the interview with Nathan Gorenstein. Uh, let's go ahead and start getting into the main news stories with uh, Eric and Mike here. So the first one we have uh, is from Guns.com, and its title is Republican Lawmakers Move to Disband the ATF. Now, it says Republican Lawmakers. It's one fucking Republican congresswoman, uh, and it is Marjorie Taylor Greene, which is basically the conservative white version of AOC. I'm sorry if you like her. Uh, you know, that's basically what she is. Is she's just the the country version of AOC, I guess you could say. And the only reason um, that I guess you could say she, oh, I guess you could say that she introduced this. I think she's got three co-sponsors, though. I will say, she, uh, Ralph Norman from South Carolina, Matt Gates from Florida, which he's got bigger fucking problems, <laughs> and uh, Paul Gosser from Arizona. So I mean, two out of four of those people already. Uh, you know, are batshit crazy, uh, and she is one of them. Uh, Matt Gates, like I said, has bigger fucking problems than trying to abolish the ETF, uh, including trying to avoid human trafficking, in my opinion. So, yeah, and prom season is right around the corner. Yeah, exactly, man. So, I mean, what do you guys think? This is just like a ploy that the Republicans let her do this because, you know, you got to have some sort of Republican you know, backing to right. introduce bills. So, I mean, I think this is just some kind of bullshit that the Republicans allowed her to do so that way they can say, oh, we're, you know, anti-gun control, but we're going to let the crazy bitch, uh, you know, introduce this. Yeah, it's all pander. That's all it will ever be. What about you, Eric? Yeah, I got to agree with Mike. I, I'm Because Marjorie Taylor Greene is, is, is nuts. And I mean that in almost a clinical fashion. She is... Uh, she, she's either crazy or she's hanging out with the wrong crowd of people. She's one of the least well-respected Republicans currently serving in Congress. And it's kind of a slap in the face to the gun community for the Republican Party to put forward what would be a decisive anti-gun, or anti-gun control legislation, dissolving one of the biggest institutions against gun ownership in America, and having one of their very worst, lowest-performing members 
putting that bill forward. I, I think that's a slap in the face for all of us. Absolutely. You know what? You are 100% on the fucking money with that one. You're absolutely right. And, yep. like, you're right. She is fucking crazy. She honestly reminds me of that fucking redheaded chick, you know, the little sister from Wedding Crashers that says, like, you know, I'll find you kind of shit. She's she's good looking, but she's fucking crazy, you know. And I've, I've heard several, and this is what I say, is, like, you can never out crazy your looks because if you do then you're fucked so she's so crazy she's hot that's why that's how that's how she's made it in life fair enough yeah kind of like aoc yeah exactly <laughs> she literally she is the white conservative version of aoc that's all so it is. so i mean I'll, I'll say this though is that i mean aoc's got some kind of uh you can call them some naive ideas about how government and people work together but she doesn't get on national news talking about jewish space lasers either well, yeah, I mean, she, to be fair, she's also, like, the one reason why I like AOC is because she's, like, what, a bartender, and then she got elected? Like, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, when was the last time a blue-collar person got elected to Congress? Most of them are career politicians or from families yep. with career politicians. Yep. I think she she's probably a real good sign that we might still have a fighting chance at regaining what the country was originally founded on, which is by the people, for the people. And right now... I don't know about you guys, but I don't really feel like it's by the people and for the people. Really, though? Do you with her? I mean, like, okay, look, retarded. Don't get me wrong. Completely batshit. But it's a glimmer of hope that people still elect regular people into positions of power and not just people that pander to their smallest emotion. Mm, I'm just, eh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Let me, be, let me be a naive kid for a moment and just believe. Just, just a moment. <laughs> just a moment. It's like Santa right. Claus. Next article comes to us from CBS News, and this is Colorado Governor Signs Bill Allowing Cities to Set Their Own Gun Restrictions into Law. Now, this is uh, interesting in my mind just because of the fact that if you look at the past, uh, Boulder, Colorado's uh, assault weapons ban was overturned because of the state preemption law mm -hmm. and uh so since it wasn't illegal on the state level boulder colorado couldn't uh outlaw them well now with this law signed into effect now cities as fucking liberal as they are which colorado is nose diving into liberal madness uh now is going to be able to do that kind of bullshit so that, and that's honestly what it is. The Colorado governor is too chicken shit to do it himself, along with the state legislature. They're going to allow the cities to do it. So this is their way to wash their hands of it, but to allow you know freedoms to be impeded. Any yep. thoughts? No, no argument. I mean, that's uh, what's going on in Colorado right now. That is straight up an end run. And it's, uh, it's really bad because, uh, like you said, the preemption thing. That's more than just about like giving districts individual power because the problem is is now every local every local government every city county um, in Colorado can decide what the law is and you can't come to them and say well I'm a, I'm a citizen of the state of Colorado here's the rights under the Colorado Constitution apparently the cities and counties can now dictate what those rights are and they can supersede whatever's set down at state level yeah it basically turns this into a kind of like a metaphorical hydra situation where unless this bill gets overturned disabling the ability for all the cities to create their own legislation you know there's not going to be any fighting it it's just going to go rampant so one one upshot here is that you know if, if a if a re, if a city or a county passes something that is obviously unconstitutional or unsustainable that can still get challenged in court it can still be overturned the problem is is now oh, do we cut out for a second there there we go uh 
Is that me? No, I just went in and pulled up my other window, sharing my screen so that okay. way you guys can know what's going on to next. So, thank you. Uh, yeah, so uh, the problem is now is that now every city and county, you have to go as, a, as if you're a two-way owner, you have to go in and you have to fight city hall using yeah. only the money and resources your city has. Now, yep. a couple million people in the state, you can get together, everyone throws a buck at the problem. That's great. But now you're talking about having to send out like the FPC NRA ILA, you got to send them out to every one of these small little boroughs to have them fight for your rights. Yeah, it's basically like uh, what, what what's the fucking uh, county county that Chicago's in? Cook County. Cook County. It's just like Cook County all over, but on steroids. Cook County has different gun laws than every other sp- uh, area of the state of Illinois. Well, some different gun laws than every other part of Illinois. But now in Colorado, it's going to be every single county, every single city. They're going to be able to have something different. To the probably to the point where, if you're carrying with a 15 round magazine and you go over to say Colorado Springs and they have a town 10 round capacity limit, well now the gun that you're carrying is illegal in the town that you're in, which makes it worse than time zones and trying to remember what time zone you're in. Yep. Oh, it's it's gonna suck so bad. And what's oh, really yeah. gonna be shitty is that it's gonna take somebody being arrested and their life being ruined momentarily, where this is gonna have to go through the judicial system. And, and it's we can have to be overturned that way. We can only hope that that actually helps because, like we've seen in in New York, and uh, Stossel actually did a really good video about it. The uh, airport, the New York City yep. airport, has their own fucking requirements for traveling with firearms. They won't get you while you're going in. They'll get you while you're going out, and then they arrest you. They throw you in jail, and they basically say, "Well, we'll let you go if you pay this fee and admit that you had this lower charge." Yep. And then they let the person go. It's absolutely ridiculous, and this is, yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. Let's go on to the next story, and this is necessarily a story from a news source, but it is a story about a news source that created a story. Now, uh, obviously, June is Pride Month, and before, and let me say this also, by the way, uh, just we're doing this two days after Father's Day. I hope everybody had an amazing Father's Day. Mike, I saw the post that you had with your dad. That was pretty cool. Eric, I know you, you got some kids, right? Yeah, my kids got me the best Father's Day present. I don't know if you guys can make it out, but a uh, little blue label. Hell yeah. Nice. I got this shirt that says Glocks, Crocs, uh, or no, it says Glocks and Crocs with socks, hashtag dad life. <laughs> so. I'm just over here petting my cats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give it time. Uh, so I hope I hope you guys had a great Father's Day, but also June is uh, Pride Month uh, for the LGBTQ community. Now, you know I'm not, you know, uh, uh, like I'm not gonna fucking walk down the streets with the rainbow flag. You know, I'm happy that Americans can, uh, you know, have their rights to enjoy their lives as as much as they want in their own time, and not only that, but also express it, not having to hide the fact like. So many gun owners do in, in you know, liberal states, uh, you know, in, like California and, and shit like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, it, it is crazy, you know, 20 years ago, uh, you know, you had, you know, no gay marriage. It was just starting to be, you know, like civil unions. And then now, you know, 20 years later, you know, all across the country. But anyway, Chris Chang, uh, if you don't know who Chris Chang is, uh, he is the winner of Top Shot. Now, if you don't know what the fucking Top Shot is, uh, Mike, I think you and I have already had this discussion. Have you uh, educated yourself, sir? No, I haven't God educated myself oh my yet. I'm so sorry. I Eric, know I know you is, know what Top uh, Shot is. I do. It's a, it's a really cool 
it's a really cool competition. Um, I think it woke up a lot of Americans to like the extreme technical difficulty of being a very proficient shooter. Um, and winning that top shot, that puts you in a very small percentile, not just in the U.S., but in the world. Absolutely. Eric, I got to ask you. I saw you lift your arm up. Are you that actually that white or are you wearing a white long sleeve on? No, I am that white. God damn, that was like like shit. You we this needs to be on the beach for this 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 thing. So that way you can get some vitamin D, man. Dude, I'm a gunsmith. I'm inside all day. God bless. I just saw that and I was like, shit, is he wearing a white long sleeve shirt or is he that white? It just it it lost my train of thought. Thank you. But... I appreciate that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Not bad. But uh man. So Chris Chang, he was on the TV show Top Shot. It was a TV show on the History Channel. I think it ran for four seasons, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, it's like around three to five seasons. It's on YouTube. Uh, please check it out. Mike, fix your fucking self. We've had this discussion before. I know, before. I know. Look, as I've already said earlier in the episode, I'm a little bit of a retard, but I'll yeah. fix myself eventually. Eventually. We're, we're just waiting for the eventually part. But uh, Chris Chang, he won Top Shot, and then not only that, he was the first civilian to win top shot. Before that, it was like either uh, veterans, military, first uh, like law enforcement, stuff like that. Uh, Chris Chang was the first civilian to win top shot. So uh, I think he was not openly you know, gay during the, the, the season, but he came out after the season was over. So, you know, and with top shot, you win a sponsored uh, shooting uh, spot on Bass Pro Shops. And Chris Chang still shoots with Bass Pro Shops to this day. He is a competitive shooter. Uh, well, anyway, Recoil did a uh, a cover with Chris Chang, and they said, "Hey, man, you know, they say wear whatever you want." And normally, you know, they had Maj Ture on there. Maj Ture is a uh, African American. Well, I'm just an African American. He's not from Africa. He's black, but he is a huge uh, proponent for. Uh, black shooters and also against gun control. Uh, he's got an organization that's called Black Guns Matter, and he wore his shirt on there. No fucking issue. Well, Chris Chang decided to wear a um, rainbow American flag T-shirt, and it became the uh, the title or the cover for Recoil Magazine, which is a very prominent shooting magazine. I you know I got their subscription. I love Recoil Magazine, um, and they were hit up by all the stupid fuckery uh, that is in this world. And, Boomers. Oh, oh, it blew this, up on Facebook. It blew up on every social media site. Oh, yeah. 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 It, it, it became so so such a loud voice that they actually had to release a statement about it. And that's fucking bananas. If you are a Second Amendment supporter, you doesn't matter what the fuck you are. It doesn't matter if you're you know trans, gay, black, white... Uh, a foreign national, as long as you are a Second Amendment supporter and you oppose gun control, that's all that should matter for this community. That's I all think, that should matter. I think the problem was people got their, their undies in a bunch over the fact that it was the American flag and a rainbow. It's like, you motherfuckers walk around with the thin blue line flag on your shirt and on the stickers on the back of your trucks and you don't have any problem with it. But the moment someone uses the American flag to show support for their cause, you want to get up in arms about it. Like, hey, come on. No, I, I think it really was, how to put this, it's not the American flag. The American flag thing just became something they could fixate on. 
The problem is, is that there is still a very unfortunately vocal component of the gun community out there who doesn't understand what two-way shall not be infringed really means. Shall not be infringed means it will not be infringed on the basis of your race, creed, color, sexual orientation, your age. It means that you have a right to keep and bear arms. And if you say, I am pro-2A, that means that you have to protect that right for everybody, even people you disagree with, even people you may not like. And for these guys, they're not willing to come out and say, well, I don't like the fact that it's a gay dude who has a gun. They're saying, well, no, he's corrupting our, our iconography. And like you said, if you've got a, blue, a thin blue line flag, guess what? You already started manipulating iconography just for your own purposes. Right, and I get what you're saying, because we kind of do, we see that all across the board, even just talking about whether or not we should have constitutional carry. You know, we see the guys saying, oh, well, if you want constitutional carry, you aren't actually pro-two-way, pro oddly enough, which is kind of a conundrum in and of itself. It, it's, I mean, it's all horsefuckery. Uh, this is something that, unfortunately, we've mentioned before on this podcast, that the 2A really does love to eat their own, and I am not for that. You know, all I think that... As long as you're not a pedophile, and as long as you don't fucking sexually assault people, and I'm specifically speaking about Tron Butler, because fuck that guy, uh, you know, right. I completely, uh, you know, doesn't matter what you believe in, as long as you are pro Second Amendment, you know, and you live that live that life to where you don't impose your beliefs on other people, which if you are a Second Amendment supporter, that's exactly what you should be. You know, is because that is what our fight is about. It's about people that think guns are scary. I want all guns gone. Well, guess what? I don't think guns are scary. I know guns are a pivotal cornerstone to the founding of this country and what helps keep us free, honestly. It really does. You know, not only is it because we've got two oceans on both sides of our border, but it's also because we have more guns than people in this country that mm. helps protect us from fucking foreign invasion and influence it really really does i don't care oh, what yeah. the fuck anybody says you know there's that uh, old adage you know oh you really think you with an ar-15 is going to stop the government from doing whatever the fuck they want to well guess what it sure as hell worked for the fucking vc the taliban and al-qaeda for the last 60 years yeah and you can't you can't forget what was it? i think it was in wisconsin was it wisconsin or was it minnesota the total amount of registered hunters for deer season, I think in 2016, it would have made all the hunters together, I think like the fifth, the largest, the world's fifth largest standing army alone. Yeah. Absolutely. That's absolutely insane. Well, and uh, so a little historical note here. Now, again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a, despite being a gunsmith, I'm a peaceful guy. I've always kind of felt that if you have to resort to violence, that's a tacit admission. You have failed at diplomacy, but there's a time for it. And one that we should always remember is the Battle of Athens. And that was when a bunch of veterans came back from World War II, and they found out that the town sheriff, the town council, all this corruption was going on. They were, uh, you know, people, you know, votes were being rigged, money was being taken, people were being uh, bullied and harassed. And a bunch of veterans literally went to war with this corrupt sheriff's department. And uh, they finally ended up getting back all the vote, all the votes that had been stolen. Um, they ran the sheriff out of office. And it's an extreme example, but that is that is one time when, you know, the right to keep and bear arms was an absolutely essential part of defending basic freedoms in the United States. I mean, it, it, now I'm, I'm not saying it, yep. it, it, it's going to happen again, but it has happened in the past. So there is a definitive historical 
support uh, point of support for what you just said. And, and it happened in the modern era. It's not like this happened, you know, in the turn of the 20th yeah. century or anything. This happened in the 40s. You know, we yeah. were considered, you know, a modern country uh, by standards even today, you know, in the 40s. You know, mm-hmm. it was like 47, 48, somewhere around there. It was after World War II. 46. When it happened. 46, okay. So and we kind of saw something similar, like a, well, not similar, but where where gun owners stood up to law enforcement and 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 uh, the protesters down in Louisville, I think it was, they all circled around a statue that the protesters were trying to take down, and they were armed. And the police chief basically called all the law enforcement off because I think he said like, you know, they're too well armed and we aren't able to do anything about it. And also, and I hate to use this guy's example because I think he's personally a piece of shit as uh, Clive Bundy, you know. That's a prime example is where, uh, you know, armed protesters were able to stop government intrusion. And uh, Clive Bundy, you know, ended up winning his legal case. But, you know, he was still just a piece of shit as well. Well, so. that, that, that that whole situation was just one one fucked football after another. I mean, that yep. was a, a queer cut case of the uh, Bureau of Land Management really handling everything wrong from the get go. And then way overzealous enforcement combined with some people who basically just kind of felt entitled to having yes. unlimited access to the you know the common to property commonly held for the trust of the public but yeah. that's a whole thing i could get into that oh yeah I'm, i mean emmett buddy's from emmett emmett's 45 minutes north of my house so yeah and i think like they gave the blm gave them like 10 years like hey you know can't use this land anymore and then finally after 10 years of, of giving them kind of notice like hey you can't use this land anymore they finally said oh fuck you know Here's here's a sledgehammer to fix this nail that we could have used a fucking you know watcher's hammer a watchmaker's hammer to fix you know what I'm saying? Well, you know, and there's there's no reason for the Bureau of Land Management to have SWAT teams. You know, that's if if you're at that point as a regulatory agency, call the U.S. Marshals. That's my feeling. But. Well, fucking NASA has a SWAT team, but that's mainly just to protect the grounds of the, like the Kennedy Space Center and uh, Houston. I can't remember the name of that fucking NASA building there god but. it no it's about protecting us from the aliens that they're storing secretly away from us that they don't want anyone fucking seeing because everyone's minds would be blown by the fact that aliens exist which for they anyone do. that's actually curious the cia actually said that the footage of the alien surgery was real they authenticated it now it's being oh sold god. So aliens are real, they are, and that's what NASA is using their SWAT teams to protect us from. It's not to protect their lands, it's to protect us from the aliens. You need to get over yourself, Nick. Thank God you. God damn. I'm telling you, I could <laughs> I go, feel educated. On, a, Thank you. I could I go on a diatribe for this, and Mike knows. That's why I think Hook Baron, God damn it, I keep dropping my fucking <laughs> I was going to say, I think Mike just went on a diatribe for everybody. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Talk for a minute while I find my fucking batteries that fell out of my mouse. Oh, right. you see everyone... Nick is a little bit of a boomer. He has clumsy hands. He has gorilla hands. We've talked about this before. And he ends up dropping stuff on occasion. When he's dropping stuff, we have to make small talk while he's trying to find the stuff that he dropped on the ground. Um, But sometimes we don't have anything to talk about. Right, Eric? We just kind of got to wing it. Well, you know, Prime Day is one of the things we're talking about uh, later in the podcast. And I'm just going to say, you can get some really nice wired mice. Yeah, USB. you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about batteries at all ever again. Yeah, you know you don't have this clumsy stall while we're watching him dance around trying to yep get yep. his equipment online. Yep, like worse. I was saying, he's a little bit of a boomer, so he's still using the batteries. Like you said, 
If you guys are listening and you don't want to be a boomer like our friend Nick here, go ahead and get yourself a wireless mouse that doesn't require batteries. God damn it, I have a wireless mouse. But you know the it one is What's worse about it, and if you can see this fucking thing is I got like a ball that goes in here. Yeah, and oh my the ball God. pops out, and I have no fucking idea where my blue ball is. I'll, I'm just going to say it. I don't know where my blue ball is. <laughs> There's so many jokes that could be made right now. <laughs> you know, one of the coolest mice I ever had is a Logitech. I think it was a G10, and it came with a, it was a wireless mouse, but it came with a battery that you could hot swap in like two seconds, and it okay. came with a dock and a spare battery. So if your mouse went dead in the middle of a gaming session, you just hot swapped it, fast and swapped it on the mag, put it back in the dock to charge, and you were good to go. And that was that was new technology 15 years ago. Wow, that's actually pretty cool. I like that. It was my favorite mouse. I was pissed with rope. My favorite mouse so far, and this has just been for like photo editing and stuff like that. It's one of those Logitech ones with the red ball in the very front. Absolutely love that mouse. I don't know what happened to it. I think my kid sibling took off with it. I think I got a, I got the Logitech G600. I really like having that uh, that 10 key configuration on the thumbs on the thumb side. Yeah, uh, it's great for gaming, but it's also handy when I'm doing like photo editing work, like like you said. Yeah. Because um, I can I can assign uh, like brushes to hotkeys. So Interesting. Can do, yeah, so I can move pretty quickly around Photoshop, um, which comes in real handy when I'm doing stuff like articles that I'm writing or if I'm like working in like a CAD program. Right, right. Oh, by the way, Eric, something that uh, I told Nick before you got on, my optic plate is now loose, which we're going to talk about, I think. Yeah, 90 rounds into it. The the mounting is, is an aftermarket plate or is the one that came with it? It's the CNH plate. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it? Did, did, did what happened? Did it wallow out around the screws or? I have not taken it off to look at it yet. To be completely honest, I was actually going to do that this evening, but the plate's wobbling, and I've only shot ninety rounds through it, maybe a hundred rounds through it. Mm. Like enough to zero it, and then enough to practice my draw a few dozen times. Well, so uh, for folks who are listening at home, those uh, those mounting plates, what you need to do is you need to make sure that you're following the directions very carefully. You need to use, uh, ideally, you've got a uh, like a fat wrench, a torque limiting wrench, and you need to use Loctite. Uh, I rec- you can use a little dab of blue Loctite when yep. you're mounting the plate to the frame itself. When you're mounting the uh, the red dot, a little purple Loctite on the screws and then torque them just to spec and not beyond. Um, if you do that right, you get everything set correctly. That sh- and you got to let it cure for 24 hours. Loctite takes some time to settle. Uh, but, but if you do that, that'll keep not just the screws from working loose, That'll keep the plate from uh, basically working back and forth under recoil, and it doesn't wallow out on you. Right, and that's I actually use the Vibra three, whatever it's called that they sent with the plate on the screws for the plate, as well as the screw for the optic itself. The screw on the optic itself hasn't gotten loosened at all. It's specifically the screws on the plate. I, I would guess your Vibra type might have gone bad. Uh, which does happen sometimes. Yeah, it's just surprising that it happened so soon, though. You know what I mean? But so, did you degrease the screws before you put them all before you put it together? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, tell you what, let's talk about that offline after the podcast. We'll see if I can help you. Definitely. I always appreciate your help. Yeah, buddy. All right, I am back. I was not able to find my blue ball, so I have a wired mouse. Yeah, I know, right? It's it. You know, it's fine. I know people that knock chicks up with one ball, so it's good to go. <laughs> Um, but uh, I don't think you need any more kids, Nick. Oh fuck no, it's not <laughs> happening, dude. I got literally. I have a urologist appointment tomorrow to get snipped. So, no, well, not but... to not to get snipped, but to start the process. You know, TMI, but fuck off. So, 
Hey, family <laughs> planning is an important part of uh, of life, man. Absolutely. So uh, I got a wired mouse in here, and it sucks so hard, but it's working. So I, I couldn't even fucking mute myself. So, like, you know, you heard my fucking all the shit move around and everything. Yes. Uh, anywho. Uh, next article. This is something, actually, Mike, you uh, started uh, started this off. This is actually was posted a day ago, but you had this uh, news. A week ago. Yeah, broke a week ago. I'm a ago. fucking king. I, am I, w- fucking I wouldn't go that far. So. Oh, come on. Give me some credit. Uh, how about a duke? You're a duke? Is a duke higher than an earl? Fuck, fine now. Yeah, I don't either. Anyway, so, uh, this comes to us from the firearms blog and just pews. Thank you. Uh, so I will say that. (laughs) Uh, but this is the last year for Knob Creek machine gun shoot. Uh, if you are f- not familiar with Knob Creek, it is basically uh, it, it's kind of like the gold standard for machine gun shoots. Yep. They're the one of the standard. Yeah, they were like I don't have to say if they were the first, but I would definitely say they are the greatest mas- machine gun shoot in the country because you know many people have tried to um, copy this format. Uh, there's actually a machine gun shoot uh, near where I live now, up on the lake. And, you know, it's okay, but it's not nearly from the video footage I've seen of Knob Creek. And I'm actually planning on, like, making a pilgrimage to Knob Creek this year to be yeah. there for the last one. I because that's too. just like, uh, you know, it's it's something you got to do, I think, as, a, as a, a gun enthusiast. Now, for those of you that have no idea what we're talking about, in order to paint the picture on how big this machine gun shoot is for you, I think it was back in 2019, ABC actually aired footage from the Knob Creek machine gun shoot, saying that it was footage that was captured from the Kurds and the Turks going at it over in the Middle East. That's, That's right. how yep. big this thing is. Yep. Uh, so, yes, if you have a chance. And also, I'm sorry, I meant to say this during the whole recoil thing, uh, but my blue balls. Uh, anyway, but do me a favor. If, if you support this, which I hope my audience does, I hope I don't have a bunch of uh, fucktards listening to this, you know, at least I hope people... Uh, you know, you don't have to be pro-gay, but just be pro-fucking uh, freedom, because that's what it is. It's the same thing as being pro-gun. You know, these people, you know, they have their preferences and what they want to do in their life. Just like, I want to not fucking talk to anyone else the rest of my life. If I could just do everything through Zoom calls so I don't have to physically see people, that would be amazing. But, you know, be pro-freedom uh, and go support Recoil. Go buy just an issue. I think, like, a, a issue of Recoil you can get at Walmart for, like, eight bucks, I think. Seven or eight bucks. Go support them because the fact that they're doing this uh, says a lot about the company in my mind. Uh, and I'll, actually, the guy that owns Recoil was the Top Shot Season 1 winner. So that's no kidding. Th- yeah, something another another Top Shot <laughs> reference in there for you, Mike, that you don't fucking get because you don't know about it. And yeah, I'm and sorry, I'm not to a it. boomer. Okay, I am sorry. I am sorry that it's before my time of remembering things. I think it's just things. an elder millennial thing. Uh, Eric, I know you're older older than uh, Mike. How old are you? Thirty-seven. Yeah, so like it's just an elder millennial thing. So you know, it's there just it's just uh, you're you guys fucking... are just picking on me because you're jealous that the first number in my age is a two and not a three. Oh my god! <laughs> you know what's funny is that uh, we were texting about this, and uh, Mike was like, "I'm sorry, I might be crackling my voice a little bit because I'm just getting over strep." And I'm like, "You mean just getting over puberty?" <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> Fuck you guys! I'm going home. <laughs> so uh, the next article comes to us from Amaland. Uh Texas Governor Abbott signs NRA. 
fucking NRA backed. I don't know why. I guess this is probably an article written by somebody in the NRA. Yeah, well, it's, it's by NRA ammo. HQ. Dude, it's yeah, it's ammo land. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, Texas Governor Abbott signs constitutional carry bill into law. This takes effect in September. This is amazing. I mean, for as large as Texas is uh, to now be a constitutional carry state. And I mean, I'm surprised, you know, because I'm originally from Texas. I have family that still lives in Texas. And Texas, you know, to get your permit was, you know, a lot harder than what I thought it was going to be. You know, for my family, you got to actually go to trainings, you know, so many hours, all this kind of bullshit. Uh, Mm -hmm. But now with this constitutional carry law, it's just going to make it that much easier for people to. Uh, you know, exercise their Second Amendment right. So yeah, I think that's amazing. Of, yeah, we've fantastic. Kind of talked about Texas and how it's not exactly as free as people want to make it out to be. Yeah. No, just it, kind of slowly catching up to where they should be, or, or to be the picture that everyone sees. Yeah, it, it really isn't. Uh, but I think that they're heading in that right direction, and I think they're trying to do that. Honestly, they're. And I hate to say it like this. I think Texas realizes that they're slowly becoming a blue state, or at least purple. And they're trying to pass as many pro, you know, not only just Second Amendment, but pro-conservative laws as they can before these uh, transplants from blue states, you know, come in and vote in politicians that aren't going to be as, you know, friendly to what traditional Texans think, you know, Texas is. So yeah. I, honest, I honestly think that's what it is. I'd love to see them actually put into the into the legislation that it basically has to become a... Like, instead of allowing future legislators to be able to override or to try to get rid of it, it requires a full state vote. Like, yep. legislators don't get to actually decide whether or not it goes away. They actually have to hold a, a statewide vote for all the citizens to go in and vote on. Dude, that's the way it is in, in Alabama for anything. You know, Alabama has the largest constitution in the world because everything that's passed has to become a constitutional amendment. So our constitution is like 102 or 103 years old and everything and not only like say for example like uh and I wish uh Chris was here so that way I could I'd rag on him a little bit but that fucking farm town up the road Auburn so like if Auburn wants to uh pass some sort of new tax the whole state has to vote on Auburn getting that new tax and it has to become a constitutional amendment so that's, I that's, actually kind of like that. You know, I I like it for statewide issues, but like people in Tuscaloosa shouldn't have a say in taxes in Auburn. Only people that are affected by that tax should have a say, in my opinion. There's, no, there's, there's pros and cons. It can go both yeah. ways. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. something I want to talk about for people who don't maybe don't understand what constitutional carry is, because there's a lot of fu- if you if you don't mind. Let me just, yeah, go uh, ahead. So constitutional carry. It requires a little reframing of thought because a lot of Americans, especially younger Americans, you know, the Gen X millennials, we are so accustomed to having to get government permission for everything that the idea that you don't need permission to do something is it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around. And constitutional carry is saying is that you have a right to keep and bear arms, carry arms for personal defense, defense of the public, defense of the state, what have you. And if the government wants to regulate that right, the burden is on the government to prove that you are a liability to your community, not on you to prove to that that you are uh, that you are privileged enough to carry a gun. So constitutional carry, in its most simplistic form, is that you've always had the right to bear arms, guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution, by the state constitution, and you don't have to get permission to do so anymore. 
and that's kind of a hard thing for some of us to wrap our brains around, but I think it's uh, in the very purest sense of like a libertarian sense of what government should be. It shouldn't be on you to prove that you have a right to exercise your rights. Well, and the big thing with constitutional carry is, and let me say this, if you are a prohibited person, constitutional carry uh, does not mean you can start carrying a firearm. You, If you are a prohibited person and you constitutionally carry, your ass will still get constitutionally arrested for right. you know, being a prohibited person in a position of a firearm. And that's uh, one of those things where, like, with constitutional care, there's a whole bunch of misinformation going on about that, where people yep. start spewing it. Oh, if the criminals will be able to start caring. Well, okay, look, Karen, it's already illegal for them to own a firearm, so it's not going to become legal for them to carry the firearm that they shouldn't have in the first place, because it's prohibited by law for them to have one. And then you got the people that are saying, you know, oh, well, it's going to... It's going to repeal the carry permits that are out there right now. It's like, uh, there is not one state that has repealed existing carry permits by enacting constitutional carry. They still allow carry permits to exist. So that way people can continue to travel out of state and carry a firearm on their body. That was specifically set out when Idaho passed our constitutional carry a couple of years back. You can still get a permit. You still need an enhanced permit to carry on college campuses. Um, yep. The enhanced permit, what that gets you is reciprocity. And reciprocity is a very difficult needle to thread because uh, the increasing difficulty some states have in getting a permit. I don't think any states have reciprocity with Illinois, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Hawaii. South Carolina. And South Carolina. But yep. if you get a couple of permits from like uh, Nevada and Oregon, that'll cover you in a good part of the lower 48. Yeah, now I know Illinois, like this is something interesting and it's a little fun factoid. Um, for Indiana residents, I don't know if it's the case for all residents, legally I can carry my firearm on my person in my vehicle if I'm traveling through Illinois. They'll accept and honor my carry permit in that situation. But the moment I step foot out of my vehicle, even if it's just to get gas, if that vehicle or if that gun is on my body, I'm technically committing a felony at that point in time. And if the person that's in my vehicle does not have their own concealed carry permit and I leave the gun in the vehicle, they're technically committing a felony as well. And that's actually the case in Indiana, even if you have a carry permit. So That's fucking wild. Yep. And just the last thing I want to say in reference to the constitutional carry, something else that they are uh, fixing is the may issue versus shall issue, which we've talked about briefly, uh, talked about before, but I'll just briefly yep. Touch upon it again. Uh, may issue means that the uh, uh, authorizing authority in your state, in most cases, it's the sheriff, but in Florida, like for example, it's the Department of Agriculture for some reason. Um, you know, they, whoever the issuing authority is, they may give you one, they may not, and basically, they don't even have to respond to your pistol permit. So if it's a sheriff and he's elected, you know, for his four years, he can just not even bother. He can take all the, the pistol permit applications he want, but the law doesn't state that he has to review them and either approve them or deny them. Shall issue means that that author, uh, author yeah, fuck, that authorizing authority has to either tell you yes or no. So that that's the big thing that constitutional carry fixes as well, which no, a lot so of these progressive states have may issue instead of shall issue. Something interesting with Florida, I just learned. I is that Florida will not recognize non-resident permits. So, like, if I live in Indiana and I lose my carry permit, but I have my carry permit for Idaho, Florida will not honor the reciprocity with the Idaho carry permit because it's not my resident state permit. Yep. There's a lot of states actually like that about that. 
Which kind of defeats the purpose almost of getting the multi, like getting multiple carry permits to a certain extent. You you have to do your homework if you travel outside your state. There's just there's yep. no way around it. USCCA has a really good map. Yes. They're very good about keeping it updated. Anybody who travels outside the state, I recommend you plot you plot out your travel course and really take the time to figure out what states you're going through, major cities you're going through. Look up reciprocity agreements and look up carry rules because. Like you said, you can go through the wrong state, you cut across the wrong border, and you forget you got a gun on your hip. That's a felony. Yeah, and also also be aware. I think it's the Firearms Owners Protection Act, which actually which actually protects you uh, while you're traveling across state lines with your firearms, as long as it's not on your body. Basically, uh, your firearm has your firearm and ammunition have to be locked up separately, and they can't be easily accessed. Right. So look well, into there- that and. All that fun stuff. There's some states that don't even give a fuck about that stuff. Like, I know with Leosa, like, New York has arrested multiple police officers, even though they are federally protected by Leosa. The state, like, you know, the city of New York does not give a fuck. So, you know, it it doesn't matter. Again, just be careful whenever you're traveling because it honestly just depends on that state that you're traveling to. Yeah, California and New York really give no fucks about federal law whatsoever, let alone the Constitution. Yep. Uh, next article comes to us from Ameland. Uh, its title is ATF halts all new opinion letters for unfinished frames and receivers. This to me is troubling in thinking that they're not going to give a fuck on what the opinions are on the open for comment section uh, for the you know the eighty percent frames. Uh, if they're going ahead and stopping opinions, uh, I, I personally think that it doesn't matter what the fuck we say. The ATF is still going to go ahead and put, you know, the kibosh on that kind of bullshit. And so, I mean, there's, you know, and, and it's not even necessarily, you know, it says that, you know, that that firearms like uh, GSD Supply, uh, Smith, M&P, CZ, you know, SIG, you know, all these companies are having opinions, you know, waiting on opinions from the ATF, but the ATF has shut those opinion letters down. Now, if you don't know what an opinion letter is, is anytime a firearms manufacturer or a, even a weapons accessory manufacturer makes something, uh, you know, just to cover themselves and to cover their customers, they submit an opinion letter to the ATF to say, hey, does this violate constitutional law or not? Especially if it's some sort of new accessory technology, uh, like with pistol braces, bump fires, binary triggers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, that's something that they, you know, send out so that way they don't go to jail and they don't send a bunch of people to jail who purchase their product. So the fact that they've stopped issuing these letters, A, it's going to affect the firearms industry because you have these big name companies that are waiting for its, uh, you know, their opinion letters to make new products. And, you know, you have ATF that is trying to clamp down on freedom by issuing a new rule on 80% receivers, even though they've already issued a opinion letter on 80% receivers. Now they're trying to renege on that previous opinion letter. What do you guys do you think? Do you think this is bad news bears or do you think this is just something that they're doing because, you know, they're waiting on a, on the comment section? Well, I did a I did a pretty extensive write up on it. It's and I thought it was published to just Pew, so I know you guys have seen it. Um, I'm going to echo some of what I said there, though. Uh, part of the problem we have is that what's happening right now is that the White House has issued an executive order 
to the ATF, which is a, a part of the executive branch, saying that you will review the status of braces, you will review the status of 80% lowers, and you will determine that braces are stocks, you will determine that 80% lowers are functional firearms, readily converted, according to the uh, one of the stat- one of the terms they use a lot. And this goes back to 20, was it uh, 2018, when the uh, when bumps, bump stocks were banned, we saw the same thing. It was an executive order from the White House saying, you will determine that bump stocks are machine guns. Now they did, and that's still kind of going through the courts. It was eventually kicked back, but not after thousands of dollars of product were uh, millions of dollars of, of lawfully owned uh, accessories were destroyed and the makers of the bump socks were put out of business. Now I've seen some of the workups that the, uh, that the ATF has proposed because they have to do cost analysis on this and the cost of actually putting through some of these, uh, re- some of these reforms, basically they're saying what's going to cost the government, what's it going to cost the people. They propose everything from making everybody register all of their uh, AR pistols as rifles so you don't have to pay a $200 tax stamp, get it, or not $200, I think they said it's going to be like 70 bucks. But they said everybody's going to have to register their braced firearms as rifles. All the, all the um, uh, retailers, your local gun shops, will have to file paperwork, like Form 1s, get them remanufactured. And then uh, they said all the way up to confiscating and destroying mandatory, term back, uh, mandatory returns and destroying every brace out there. And the total cost of that, both in terms of lost business, revenue, and destruction of lawfully owned property, was well over $100 million. And that's going to be absorbed by everybody from the firearms industry down to the consumer. And their their intent there is you either do this or you are going to be looking at violation of the National Firearms Act. And um, as much as people like to say, you know, shall not be infringed, come and get it. Those are some very serious penalties there. It's three to seven years minimum for a felony offense. Um, and if you get caught up with something else, like um, maybe you've got pot, maybe it's a shoot that goes bad, 20 years minimum mandatory sentence for unlawful use of an NFA item in a crime. That's that's some serious jail time. That's uh, something that you got to weigh long and hard as your options there. And the ATF seems like they may be willing to go ahead of this. And then by the time we get around to suing them in the courts and getting it uh, rejected, that's already a lot of uh, a lot of property, a lot of money, and a lot of business that we're out as a community. Potentially a lot of lives as well, because the ATF isn't going to hesitate to shoot someone if they start to give them some gr- grief. Yep. That's uh, interesting stuff. If you have not already, go and leave your comment in the uh, open comment section. There are ways to be, you know, to leave a comment on multiple sites. I know I've done it. I think Mike's done it. Uh, I think Eric's done it. I know FPC has a permanent link on their website. Uh, so does Brownells. You know, check it out. Leave a comment. Something else. Leave your legal real name. If you don't leave your real name, they will kick your comment out. If you uh, curse at all in your comment, they will throw it out and it will not count. So please be professional. There's templates that are. I know I posted. Uh, that other places have posted, so that way you can know exactly what would be, you know, kind of need to say, so that way. But also something else uh, is do not just copy word for word. If there's a template, change some things around because uh, even though I don't think they should, and I don't, I haven't seen any rules about this, but uh, there have been, war, you know, rumors, and I don't know if it's substantiated or unsubstantiated, that if it is a carbon copy and they have a bunch that are the exact same, that they will also throw those out as well. So that I can confirm they will do that. That was uh, That's been brought up a few times with other, other federal agencies. 
is it becomes too easy. They, they claim it's too easy for bots to auto-populate those kinds of registries with uh, pre-formatted stuff. Um, and that, that cuts both ways, you know. On the one hand, it uh, you, you don't want, like, like uh, automated scripts sending up support for stuff that's obviously unconstitutional or questionable. But um, on the other hand, it does make it harder for people to get out and, and do their uh, show their support for the, for the Constitution. I do strongly support everybody getting out and sending up a brief comment saying how much you oppose it. And if you've got the, the talent for wordsmithing, if you're a good writer, make a compelling argument for your case. But Absolutely. as you said, use your real name, no profanity, be polite, be professional, be firm. Yep. And if you need to afterwards to make yourself feel better, you can drunk dial your representative and call him a piece of shit. Not that I recommend doing that, but you can. You're legally allowed to do that as an adult. Well, and something else, and this goes on to the next story. uh, You know, the AMLNs, did Biden's ATF nominee Chipman lose his duty gun or not? What are they hiding? Uh, You know, they were supposed to vote on, I think, this week. That that uh that committee, and uh, they had to put it back because uh, so many people flooded the switchboards that they crashed them, and uh, they decided to hold back the hearing uh, vote for the committee. Yeah, the Senate Judiciary Committee. Does he have so, a neck? Uh, I don't, does he have an upper lip? Is my question. I yeah, mean, he's that's always a good uh, question. He's he always like thrown at the front teeth. Jesus fuck. <laughs> so. Um, and this is, you know, again, I swear, I'm starting to get a little upset at Amelan for this because I want to, I thought FPC broke this story, but, and it's this, very high. It's more than likely that FPC broke the story. NRA likes to take credit for a lot of things that they didn't actually do. And they will use all of their, uh, outlets, whether yep. it's Amelan, et cetera, to take credit for it, to basically absolve the actual uh, group that did it from yeah, you get what I'm saying. I'm yeah. at a loss. Any, anyway, in this it says the Federalists uh, broke the story, and then the NRA brought you know carried it on. Uh, but basically, they're trying to say uh, was he negligent in uh, leaving his service weapon inside his department vehicle while parked downtown, and then his vehicle was broken into, uh, and his gun was stolen. Uh, they're trying to figure out if it was ever recovered. All this kind of stuff. And, and I'm telling you, you know, I'm surprised there hasn't been a FOIA request in this because you just saw with the military how many firearms that they have are missing, I think, in just it was like 2019. And it was like including 34, you know, belt fed machine guns that they're missing. Uh, so, you know, I'm so, surprised nobody's done that. Something I do want to caution people on here, too, is uh, and, and this has been <laughs> it, it's a problem that the two way community has been having with. Especially, I see it a lot on Facebook right now. I know other platforms have their own problems. Don't take everything you read as gospel. Um, like, even the NRA has admitted they don't know for sure if David Shipman actually lost his duty firearm or not. Um, and I've seen some other stuff going around. Like, people allege that he was in charge of, uh, was, it, uh, was it Ruby Ridge? People said yep. he was in charge of that. He, well, he wasn't. He was with the responding forces. The picture that they have of him there was after it all gone down. He came on after the whole incident had happened as the ATF's on-site consultant. Um, oh, that was uh, Waco. Waco, thank you. It was Waco. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying this guy doesn't have some problems. He is obviously very virulently anti-gun, which is not what you want to have in the in the director of the ATF. But, you know, if you're going to take your shots, you got to make sure you line them up, and you got to make sure that they're backed up by um, unimpeachable sources. Because when you take these arguments to the public's domain, 
you take these arguments of people who are on the fence and they and it comes out later, oh, you were wrong, you were missing facts, you were stating it as a as a perfect assertion, that that hurts us as a community. So if you're going to make these claims, you got to be able to back them up with hard truth. And if you can't back them up, don't make them. Yeah. So, I mean, I knew when, when I posted the picture, uh, I knew that he was a part of the ATF team in Texas during that time. So, uh, you know, it, it's not like, and not only that he looked like him, I'm not, you know, in, in regards when I posted, I'm not saying, you know, like he purposely, you know, lit the match that set the compound on fire, but that was clearly a picture of him after the fact. And anytime, you know, somebody takes a picture with dead bodies, let alone dead bodies of American citizens on American soil. Uh, especially that, kids. And, you know, especially kids, man, that's just fucked up. Like, that's, you know, that that just shows what kind of person he is. What's uh, really kind of mind. fucked up is when he, was do, when he was being grilled by the senators and he was talking to Ted Cruz. He's like, oh, thank you for the Dr. Pepper. It really reminded me of my time down in Texas. He said that so casually. Yep. Like, you knew why he said it, the way he said it. Yep. Like he's uh, psychopathic, I believe, is the proper term for that. Yep. That, that was absolutely fucking bananas. So uh, next article uh, from Mland as well. FPC statement on Ninth Circuit order injunction on assault weapon ban. Uh, so basically what we talked about before and we had Cole on the last podcast uh, to talk about this particular ruling by uh, Judge St. Benitez. Uh, and what it was is basically it overturned California's assault weapons ban. So basically what happened is the Ninth Circuit as a whole uh, ordered a stay basically saying uh, the Judge Benitez issued a 30-day stay, which was supposed to allow, you know, because what happened before with the magazine limit uh, ruling was that California uh, issued a stay, you know, requested a stay, and it just was indefinite. So Benitez, according, you know, and this is Cole's kind of legal thinking and what everything I've read is that Cole, uh, I'm sorry, not Cole, Judge Benitez issued a 30-day stay in his own order. So that way the courts would have to pick it up at a certain time or the, you know, Fuck, I know I'm doing a piss poor job explaining this, and Cole, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Uh, but basically, it was it was to help us out in regards to not having just a, a never-ending stay from California, uh, you know, not moving forward and doing what they need to do in regards to continuing this case. Well, the Ninth Circuit uh, has stepped in themselves, a little bit of judicial activism, and issued uh, a stay themselves. Uh, saying that, you know, this order does not expire in 30 days. Uh, you know, the state of California has more time to respond uh, to this as well. So, you know, that's just kind of bullshit. It makes me wonder what's going to happen in regards to this, uh, you know, if especially if it goes to the full Ninth Circuit. We have seen that once the magazine order went to the three-judge panel, it was also overturned. Uh, but let's, I'll be interested to see if once this goes to the full Ninth Circuit. So, any any uh, comments on that, guys? Nope, good summary. Yeah, sounds very good to me. Well, and the last thing I want to talk about in the main segment is Brownells is donating, donating a portion of every sale to the Farms Policy Coalition. And we always want to make sure that we highlight people in the gun community that do good shit, and this is good shit right here. So every sale 
of American-made products from June 22nd to July 4th, Independence Day, uh, 2% of every sale will be donated to the FPC and FPC Law, which is, they're the organization that really does the most for Second Amendments in this current time. Uh, they're the ones that, uh, you know, did the magazine limit ban uh, that Judge St. Benitez overturned. They're the ones that did the assault weapons ban that Judge St. Benitez overturned. I'm going to keep saying St. because that motherfucker has done more for firearms rights since John Moses Browning himself, I think, at least in regards to making firearms more better for us as as uh, regular civilians, I like to say. So that's good shit. Uh, awesome for Brownells. If you guys are planning on buying anything, buy it from Brownells. Uh, I just got a new red dot myself, but I didn't get it from Brownells because Brownells just didn't sell it. I got the uh, the new Vulcan reticle uh, from Hollow Sun uh, that only is a primary arms exclusive, uh, but I did order the uh, plate from Brownells. So, man of my word, I do as I say and not just, you know, fucking give talk. FPC is where my money goes, um, and I use every opportunity I have on my page to plug them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do a little business with the NRA uh, as a gunsmith, as a shop, because the NRA helps. Uh, they, they work with uh, Locked and Affinity, which does insurance for almost every shop and manufacturer in the business. But my money and my support goes to the FPC for the work they've done. They've really taken the baton and run with it in some very meaningful ways. And they've taken on problems and topics that the NRA has uh, very been very conspicuously quiet on. Absolutely. Got anything else about good shit Brennells does there, Mike? I mean, uh, they do a whole lot on social media. Like, they have the whole uh, Bureau of Propaganda thing that they do on Instagram to try and raise, uh, yeah, raise awareness of the, the good side of the Second Amendment community to try and fight against the culture war that exists and trying to show that, you know, everyone's a gun owner. Every kind of person is a gun owner. And I feel like them doing that specifically on Instagram, since that seems to be the go-to place right now, has done a lot to support the rights. And this is just going to help them support our rights even more. Absolutely. And there's one actually one other article I want to talk about that I completely skipped over. I thought it was part of our products uh, uh, segment, but I want to talk about this. Uh, this is from Ameland, and this is the ATF Accountability Act of 2021. Now, this is something that not uh, fucking crazy white AOC is, is coming up with. This is actually from Representative Dan Crenshaw. Uh, and it is H.R. 1961, uh, also known as the ATF Accountability Act. Now, oh, you say that name, and I just want to know what Trojan horse this is. Well, listen to this, and I think this is a good thing. It puts ATF along with other agency, federal agencies. And what this does is this allows a administrative appeals process over ATF rulings. Now, this is something that other federal agencies have that the ATF does not have. Uh, and it would make sure that the ATF goes back to more focusing on the misuse of firearms and violent crime and or drug trafficking versus, uh, you know, having them redo rules in regards to what whatever administrations in power wants. So I think this is more of an achievable goal than abolishing the ATF like Marjorie Taylor Greene has, uh, you know, proposed. I think this is, like I said, more of a achievable goal, and I think this is something that actually even could get passed with the current political makeup of the you know federal government as is. It really could, especially with everyone wanting to see law enforcement being held more accountable than they have been. Yep. Um, and the ATF is law enforcement, so them just them passing a bill 
that requires the ATF to be held accountable for their actions, I think that has a very high chance of passing. And especially with their marketing it as, you know, putting the ATF's focus back on uh, violent crime involving firearms versus being, uh, you know, basically lawmakers, which is what they're basically doing. Uh, you know, politicians, you know, whoever has power does not like to give it up. Politicians are no different. So politicians would like to have that power in regards to especially gun control uh, for those gun control type politicians. So giving getting that power away from the ATF and putting it back in the legislative hands would be good for us because politicians, especially in the federal government, can't fucking agree on anything. And if we were able to get that away from the ATF or at least limit their ability to do that with administrative appeals, uh, that would be great. There is a Democrat who's co-sponsored this with Crenshaw. It's uh, Henry Henry Queller of Texas. Yep. Um, and I think, like you said, this is a really good indicator that this might have some legs to it. Absolutely. It's not, it's not saying the ATF can't do its job, but it's saying that we need to give people and the industry and individuals a means of redress that isn't like going to court and suing the ATF. Um, an administrative appeals process would give us as gun owners and the industry and me as an industry member more of a voice and more of ability to kind of to, to make these appeals before they take on full force of law um, and to argue like the cost of enforcing their brace band, which I mentioned earlier, I pulled my numbers back up. Uh, just to replace all the non-compliant parts, like make all your barrels 16 inches, but take all the stocks off, it would cost $125 million. And then if the BATFE compelled everybody, every citizen destroyed their braces, confiscated all existing stock, shut down all the manufacturers, estimated cost of $443 million. So having that appeals process, being able to go to the ATF and say, you know, going, going in front of a federal court and saying we want you to put a stay on the ATF's decision until we can appeal it, would be a huge gain for us with no loss in terms of the ATF's ability to regulate violent crime and trafficking. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this could be a, it's a, not a knockout win, but it's definitely a win. Good one to support. Absolutely. So Mike, you got anything that you want to talk about in the general section before we get into product news and reviews? No, not that I can really think of. What about you, Eric? The, uh, the one, the one thing that I want to talk to you about is the uh, polymer 80 stuff. Um, and that's one where this is an area where as a, as a gunsmith, as a manufacturing expert, it, it's important for, for people to understand the dangers here because, you know, the, 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 the gag that I've been seeing is that so they ban 80 percent receivers. What happens when they put out 79 percent receivers? How far down the rabbit hole does this go until you're having to serialize blocks of aluminum? And this is kind of part of a larger problem where we've been constantly consolidating authority in the hands of the executive branch every every four years, every time there's a new election. We see representatives to these uh, to these departments. We see uh, cabinet members who are voted in basically rubber stamped because the sitting president wants them to be rubber stamped in. So I really strongly to encourage people whenever you start talking about these kind of politics, not just with like non-gun people, but with the firearms industry, we need to be taking a larger look at what we're doing that's empowering these agencies to make these decisions and push back against it. We really need to return the power to the people, and that that's is a fucking that, that is an argument that you can make coherently and intelligently to people who are both pro-gun and pro-gun control. And if you can find that common ground, I think you'll find a lot more ways to relate to people who are on the gun control side, maybe even change their mind. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, with that, let's go ahead and close out the main segment and get into the gun products news and reviews. All righty. 
And with that, let's go ahead and talk about some new products that are coming out. Uh, the first one is going to be Wilson Combat unveils new 9mm compact pistol. It's going to be the SFX9. Now, being Wilson Combat, this thing is probably going to be expensive as fuck. Uh, and I, can see can, I can see Canik getting upset about the name. Yeah, I really can too, for real. I, I can honestly see Canik like, pulling some fucking you know, uh, trademark uh, suit against them for this bullshit. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But uh, it, you know, it's basically just a 1911 copy, really, which is what Wilson Combat does. Is, is their specialty is 1911, uh, but it's a compact in nine uh, millimeter. Uh, probably shoots great and amazing, uh, but for the price, I guarantee you, it's probably not worth it for a concealable nine millimeter. You yeah, can probably twenty-eight dollars. Are you fucking serious? Where do you see 2800. that? Twenty-eight hundred. I just pulled it up on the Wilson website. Oh, God damn, yeah, fuck dude. that. That's too much. Yep. Everyone, uh, just forget we mentioned it. Not even well, worth looking at. <laughs> so, so from a gunsmithing perspective, I mean, just from the mechanical side of it, what Wilson Combat did with their with those nine millimeter series is pretty impressive. Uh, it's something you know, like a lot of gunsmiths have tried to toy with is how to build a compact nine millimeter nineteen eleven. It's not easy to do. Uh, especially with that 10-round capacity. Wilson Combat had to rebuild the 1911 almost from the ground up. Uh, Custom-built frame, the barrels, it's got, a, it's got a flush reverse plug instead of a, a, a standard bushing. Magazines have to be built in-house. It's a complex bit of engineering, and it's a niche gun, and Wilson Combat's got a, a long and pretty proven track record of making very good guns with a price that goes towards very discerning consumers, or the boomers who have finally got money to spare. For the rest of us... Probably a staccato is going to do you a bit better at that kind of price point. Yeah. Now, the next product uh, we're talking about, and I'm bringing it up just because I think, you know, even though ammo and guns are starting to come more back into stock, I still think people, you know, things are still not 100%. Things are still not 100% to regular price. Uh, I think you can still invest in other things, and something that I think people should really invest into is body armor. Uh, do not buy AR-500 unless you're just using it for exercise and want some weight and shit like that. Um but this comes to us from Amland, and it's about Premier Body Armor, uh, new multi-hit capable level four Stratus enhanced place plates. Uh, they're only 4.4 pounds per plate, which is impressive as fuck. Um, multi curve is really nice. As somebody that's I'm barrel chested, I got a humongous. I mean, my my chest is about like 10 inches bigger than my my gut. Uh, so I you know I have a humongous chest. So I really like the multi curve uh, stuff. Now, the MSRP is a little pricey. Uh, the MSRP is $529.95. But just when I pulled up their website to look, uh, I mean, it is, the, you know, they have uh, interest-free payments uh, where you pay four payments of $132.48. That's $529, let me say, per plate. Uh, but they also give you 10% off the second plate, which brings that second plate down to $476.96. Uh, I... I always recommend people at least get a level 3A+, plus, uh, but I say level 4 is where you want to be for body armor just because of the fact that you're more likely to get yeeted by some boomer with a 30-06 hunting rifle than you are, you know, somebody, you know, kitted out with a, you know, tricked out AR, you know, if something happens. Um, so you want to get that. Uh, it's multi-hit, which is really important. Uh, I know when I first started getting to body armor a few years back, and I was looking at, uh, you know, body armor, you know, God, 10 years ago, 
and this is back when body armor was was pretty fucking expensive. You know, it's not like what it nearly is today. You know, body armor was pretty much destroyed after one hit, maybe two. You know, it, you're lucky if you get one hit that a second hit is going to stop. You know, it's going to get slowed down probably, but it's not going to really fully get stopped unless it's just, you know, you got lucky. Multi-hit um, body armor to me is, is where it's at. And uh, you guys got any body armor? I got a couple plates I I, uh, I acquired when I was in Iraq in 09, but I think it's probably time to replace them. Yeah. I'm going to be was... the dumbass with the, with the car door taped around my chest running around the streets. <laughs> just let it happen. Just <laughs> Exactly. Like so you're, you're like, Jesus, take the wheel. Yep. One, one point much. I want to make here about the, the new Stratus Level 4 stuff is that they have not yet gotten their NIJ certification on these. They've been tested, and they've done a lot of independent testing. Uh, but if you're in law enforcement... Um, if you're with a private security company and they've got restrictions and standards that require an NIJ certification, um, you may run into some trouble. Run this past your chain of command first. Run this past your leadership before you put it on. Because if you get hit and you get hurt and they come back and they say well, you're wearing unapproved armor, that could end up being a very expensive piece of armor in the end run. Well, and something with NIJ, NIJ is a government-run lab. And like anything with the government, it takes fucking years to do. There's no bureaucracy, yeah. all that kind of shit. You're looking at a minimum of at least two or three years. So say, you, for example, you're a business and you got a concept, an idea, and you want to go ahead and get started on it. You are at least looking at two or three years with NIJ to have that sticker on your body armor because oh, it is it, that fucking ridiculous. Isn't it ten or $20,000 per plate design? And even if it's just like, like let's say it's that multi-curve and it's the swimmer's <laughs> cut. If they approve the multi-curve and swimmer's cut, that yep. doesn't mean that it goes over to the square plate right. or a non-curve plate. So that's yep. ten thousand, ten or twenty thousand dollars per testing for each plate, plus the time investment in getting NIJ NIJ to actually test it. So exactly. Premier does Premier does have a good product line. It's a lot of stuff, and they have a number of other things that are explicitly NIJ certified. So I, I think it's pretty unlikely that Premier is putting out something that would not hold up. Um, to other level four plates. I'm just saying that if you're in if you're in the industry as an end user and you have policies or regulations that require NIJ certification, do your due diligence and run this past your chain of command before you put it on, just Absolutely. so you don't end up getting uh, shorted in the long run. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they won't pay your medical bills or that would or be my all that, that would bullshit. Be, that would be my concern there, and that's coming out of the army side of things where we always had guys who said, well, I want to go buy my own custom body armor. And I, and I totally stripped. I said, dude, if you put your own body armor in your gear and you get hurt, you're going to go to jail because you misused government equipment and got yourself injured stupidly. Yep. So something to think about there. Yep. Uh, and then last thing I want to talk about in the product gear news and reviews, at least on my end, uh, it is Prime Day. Uh, you know, Prime Days are a going. Uh, they keep going until the end of... Blah, blah, blah. Runs through June 20th until the end of tomorrow, which is today. So if you get, get, you know, sorry, it's fucking too late. Look out for this shit next time. But it's just, just some cool shit that I wanted to, to show you guys. Uh, Walker uh, Razor Series Earmuffs and Hearing Protection. Now, those are actually really good. If I didn't have uh, the Walker Bluetooth uh, earpieces and some uh, Peltors, I would be rocking these because I think they're pretty solid, especially with, like, the, the walkie... Um, uh, clip-ons that they have for them that's cool especially if you own a range that way 
you know, you could talk with the other employees on the range, uh, you know, through your through your muffs. They have a uh, 44% off Streamlight 66-121 Stylus Pro pen lights, which are Honolulu's. Uh, that's actually a really good fucking deal. Uh, they have uh, big discounts on uh, Celestron's Ultima 80-degree angled spotting scopes. Uh, this is a really good deal. The Bog Death Grip tripod, 30% plus an additional 20% off at checkout. Uh, you have Crimson Trace, fuck them, don't worry about it. Um, Maven B1 42mm binoculars. Carleben uh, EMT Molly IFAC with medical supplies. That's actually a really good deal. I wonder how much that is. You get 180 piece medical. You'd have to end up replacing almost everything in there anyway. I don't. I don't trust a lot of those. Uh, those ready to go kits. You know. You know I I yeah, like them just for. for I like them just for like you know, because this is like good shit for a car. It's got like band aids, gauze, that kind of stuff. It's, just, it's a boob. It's a boo boo kit. Exactly, and, that, and that's that's exactly as they sell it for. Uh, you know, they don't have anything in there like cat tourniquets or, or fucking anything like that in there. It's just a boo boo kit, like you said. But this, you know, this is good stuff to you know have on the back of your car. Um, you got uh, decoys, Plano gun cases, uh, all sizes off twenty percent. For Prime Day, that's actually a really good deal. Um, uh, bullshit laser, bullshit lights, don't <laughs> worry about it. Bullshit red dot, don't worry about it. Ooh, laser light trainer, target steel, time reactive dry fire practice. Those are good. I wonder how much these guys are at, at Prime with Prime Days. And again, sorry for y'all that don't have it. 106, that's not bad. You get an additional 20% off of that. So, do they, do they include the laser, or do you have to get the laser emitter? You have to get the laser emitter. These okay. are just the targets, but they have the audiovisual uh, thing with it. So, that's that's pretty good, especially if you already got it. And I know a lot of people got those. Uh, Crimson trays, fuck that. Uh, tech mat cleaning mats, twenty percent off. That's a good deal. Those are always kind of cool. Uh, Caldwell Emacs Shadow 23 NRR Electronic Curing Buds. Those are really cool. Uh, I guess this is the Caldwell version of the walkers uh, that I have. Uh, I wonder, let's see how much those are. Because those are actually really worth it in my opinion. 8658. Uh, with Bluetooth connectivity. So, That's handy. Yeah, that is. And I'm telling you, the reason I got those things um, was because I was shooting. This is like right when COVID hit and uh, I was off like we were rotating. We were rotating days uh, at work. So that way we, you know, because this is before we realized how much of a fucking pandemic it was. Uh, So I was going shooting a lot more. Uh, because there was no, you know, I live at a, or I'm a member at a big outdoor range and, you know, they didn't give a shit if we went out there. So I was going there a lot and I just brought my Bluetooth regular speaker and was playing my music. Well, if you have listened to this podcast, you understand through my choice of buff bumper music in between segments that I really like, uh, rap, trap, hip hop, all that shit, man. I love that stuff. So, uh, I was playing it and some fucking boomer, <laughs> uh, complained on me to the uh, the membership committee, and I, they were said, you know, hey, uh, don't be playing that out loud anymore. And I'm like, well, fuck off, okay. Uh, so I got those, and I was listening to my music uh, doing that. But I mean, I love them. I, I use them now whenever I go, you know, and do range days uh, with my agency and other agencies and and all that kind of good shit. So, but those were like fucking shit, like almost three hundred dollars versus eighty six fifty eight. Yeah, when you got them, they didn't work, right? Yeah, they they didn't work at first, and I uh, returned them back to Walker. 
Uh, and there was some issue with that as well because they were like, oh, well, you know, you bought those. And I got them at a really good deal, actually, because um, they're on clearance. But I guess the reason they're on clearance is because they're coming out with a new model. Uh, it took them a minute to send me replacements. And then when I was asking, like, hey, where's my replacements? They're like, oh, we're sending you these. I'm like, well, that's not what I fucking sent you. I sent, you know, they're actually wanting to send me over the ear ones. And I'm like, no, like, I got, like, the earbud ones that you place in. That's like you're trying to drip me out of, like, 100 bucks. And they were like, oh, well, you know, we'll send you those. And, you know, the reason we're sending you those is because we're coming out with the new model. We don't have any more of those old models that you sent us. Um, so when we get the new models in, we'll just send you a pair of the new models. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. But then when I got them in, it was the, the old model. So they didn't know what the fuck they sent me. So, yeah. you know, at least I got the shit replaced for free. Right. I'm talking about talking about Prime Day real quick. Something I want to caution people about. People who follow my Facebook page, you know that I have a fifth rule of gun safety, and that's always wear your eyes and ears. Um, and, and take this as from both a gunsmith and a veteran. I have lost a lot of hearing because of issues relating to a lack of ear protection. Um, for those of you who guys who saw the uh, was a Kentucky shooter, his Serbu is uh, Serbu 50 caliber blew up, and if he had not been wearing eye protection, it very likely would have killed him. At a minimum, he would have lost his right eye. Yep. So I'm, I'm really big about safety gear and equipment. Walker's has got a decent reputation, and I've got pulled up here a whole bunch of hearing protection, you know, earmuffs on uh, on Amazon here. And there's a lot of no-name stuff. There's a lot of stuff that is from uh, brands I've never heard of, uh, like Gucho, uh, Mad Holly, Glorifire. And a lot of these are basically uh, manufactured in the same product line and sold by different companies, lower standards. The one thing you should never ever skimp on is your hearing protection. Whatever you, you're hearing an eye protection, when you buy stuff, you need to look for, we talked about the NIJ certification for the body armor. You need to look for the ANSI certification and standards for your eyes and ears. My MSA Swordens, those are my, those are my that's my preferred brand for uh, headphones, 260 bucks. I think I paid even more for that when I bought them. Um, and even the 3M stuff, the noise canceling ones that my uh, my business partner Casey has, uh, cost him over a hundred dollars. Do not cheap out, and always do your due diligence, especially if there's a chance that your kids might be wearing this stuff, because yep. you do not want to find out that you got substandard knockoff eye protection the day that some spall comes flying back and smacks your kid in the face. And, and if you're that, shooting, yeah. And if you're shooting at an indoor range and you don't have a really nice premium set of earmuffs. Double down, wear earplugs, and then wear muffs over those. I, I do that. And I've got, like I said, I've got a $300 set of earmuffs. And yeah. I put plugs in when I'm shooting um, on indoor range just because there's a whole lot of science that goes into it. But it's not just the impact on your eardrum. It's the damage that's done through the the conduction through your the bones of your skull. Yep. Double down. Uh, and uh, if anybody says you're being a wuss, if anybody gives you a hard time for wearing your eyes and ears or insisting other people do – Tell them to fuck right off. Oh, or you can laugh at them in about 10 years when they can't hear you. What? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God damn it, Eric. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm telling you, like, I just, you know, while y'all were talking about that, I'm just going through uh, the shooting section for Prime. They have over 80,000 results that's uh, Prime Day stuff in shooting. And for an I'm anti-gun s- company, they sure make a lot of fucking cash off of gun See? stuff. That's all they give. That's all these people. God damn it, my dog. So that's all these people care about is just making. Your dog just wants to be a part of this, okay? Dude, she is such a bitch. You know, my dog. I got her from a law enforcement canine breeder. Uh, She was actually bred and was starting to be trained for law enforcement canine, but then she had hip problems. Stop scrolling. Go back up one. See those Peltors on the left there? Those tactical three hundreds. Those are outstanding. 
Uh, we saw those at shot the last time we got to go to shot show before it was canceled from the pandemic. Uh, we tested those in a booth uh, with uh, basically the equivalent of live fire around us. If my sword was broke tomorrow, I would get those Peltors. They are 90, awesome. Strongly recommend bucks. them. Yeah, four bucks. So, but yeah. Anyway, my dog had hip problems, and so so I got her from the breeder uh, for free. You know, normally it's like a, a four to five thousand dollar dog, but because she had hip problems, I just had to promise to uh, get her spayed so that way she didn't pass the bad genes to other Malawas. And uh, so she is such a bitch. It is insane how much of a bitch she is. But it's just because she wants puppies. No, well, she's, <laughs> she's spayed, so. But, I mean, some of the stuff I've seen on here that's really cool, uh, I saw some uh, Ipsic targets, uh, like a 20-pack for 20 bucks. Uh, the cardboard ones, that's a pretty good deal. Um, I've Look, seen... we all know all you need is a fucking pizza box, Nick. No one needs to buy some Ipsic targets, okay? Just get a pizza box. Challenge yourself, my friend. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. Uh, something else I'm seeing is I've seen a couple shot timers for just over 100 bucks. Uh, that is something I really think that people should incorporate in their shooting whenever they go to the range for training. Uh, is you know get that shot timer. Um, and some other shit that I've seen that was really cool. Some range bags. This is good shit for, you know, Father's Day. You know, if you drop the ball and to get your dad anything. Uh, I've seen a lot of cool reactionary target targets, like ho- uh, hostage targets, uh, for like less than 50 bucks. Uh, so, I mean, it's good shit. Check it out. Uh, again, you'll probably get this after it happens, so check it out next year. So, all right, guys, you got anything that you want to talk about? Yeah, actually, the uh, arm score. Oh, come on! Don't feel like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, arm score slash Rock Island Armory just came out with a new pistol, kind of sort of. They announced it at least called the STK 100. Now, there's a few things with this that are very frustrating. So, first of all, MSRP on this thing is going to be about six hundred dollars. It's a aluminum frame Gen 3 Glock 17 with a 1911 grip angle. Which, it sounds great. Price points there. You know, Gen 3, all the aftermarket supports there for it. But they fucked up in a lot of ways. The first one is the slide. They have all these, and this goes for every single manufacturer. They have all these professional shooters. They have these entire design teams. They still design the slide with an optic cut where the optic plate has the rear sight on it. So if you want to mount an optic, you have to lose your rear sight. So either their shooters are retarded, or their design team's retarded, or neither of them know what a defensive pistol needs to have because they're marketing it as a competition-slash-defensive pistol. On top of that, this mill job, it's not its not an MOS system like Glock uses or Smith & Wesson uses. It is a dedicated mill job for the Vortex Venom. What the fuck? Which is laughable. Everyone, everyone... You know, relates Rock Island Armory to shit tier quality, and here they come with this pistol, and they purposefully mill it for one of the shittiest pistol optics on the market. On top of that, the one thing everyone's been wanting for a Glock is a metal frame where you can exchange, where you can change out the grip panels on the sides, where it's just like a 1911 or a Sig 226 or a Beretta 92, where you can actually change out the side grip panels to. Tailor it to your needs, whatever those needs are. Instead of doing that, they've done what literally every other, well, a handful of other companies have already tried doing, and that's just a straight aluminum pre-textured frame for the Gen 3 Glock, which I believe Wolf did it. There's two or three others I'm, gonna, I'm forgetting. They tried doing it. No one wanted it. It failed. Um, 
But on the bright side, if you want an aluminum frame, you can buy the entire gun. It's going to be MSRP $600. And Eric, you might have something to say about this, but they're saying that you should be able to drop in your slide of choice onto the frame because it's a Gen 3 Glock. I'm skeptical. That's what I was thinking, too, because the stacking tolerances between, which I learned from you about, between the frame and the slide with them both being metal and not being as loose as like a Glock frame with it being polymer. Yeah. Um, and, and so part of what I like about Glocks, Glocks are, a sta- are are the standard. They are the perfect intersection of performance, cost, and reliability. And everything else kind of radiates off of that. You can get better guns, you can get cheaper guns, but Glocks really do set a really, really excellent intersection there. My concern, having worked on a more than a couple arms core guns over the years, is wondering where they're cutting their corners. Mm. Now, it could be wrong. Now, this could be arms core saying we're going to build a Glock quality firearm. I'm, okay, good luck. You're trying to beat Glock at their own game, but all right, fair play. But my concern, though, is that either they're going to offer something that is as best at best a Glock at a hopefully equivalent or maybe near to a price point, in which case Glock's going to win because Glock already has that market share. So you either have to, uh, you have to offer a cheaper gun or you have to offer a better gun. You can't offer something that's close and be competitive. Like Mike said, the problem is, is that their, their optics compatibility system is less generous. So again, if I'm like, well, I don't know what red dot I want, I'm not going to do a Vortex. You've automatically ruled out the STK. But my biggest concern is, is how are these guns going to actually run under duress? How are they going to work when somebody starts putting a couple thousand rounds through them? I know Glocks are going to run... On average, five to 10,000 rounds before you even start seeing things starting to kind of wear out a bit. And that's under a lot of a really heavy firing schedule. I've seen arms core guns come through my shop that look like they were finished with a hacksaw. So I'm, yeah, I'm very skeptical. Is, and that was something I saw a few videos on it to get some information on it because their website honestly do- doesn't have enough on it. And the gun that they're displaying, you can tell that it's cast. It's got the line down the center on the trigger guard where the two sides of the frame were obviously put together. They didn't even bother finishing it off or polishing it off. And this is the gun that they're using to debut the new pistol with. Like, you you don't fuck up like that. Well, I can see them removing the rear sight with an optic plate because, because SIG has come in with the M17, you're seeing a lot more manufacturers now, whether they're great or not, uh, have optic plates with a rear sight attached to them to take care of that option. And the reason I know this is because I was, when I was doing all my research to, to get my new red dot to put on my 320, I, I saw a lot of that. Uh, same thing with um, uh, Glock, because you know some people, when they, they mill the slides, and, and some people, like pr- good professional slide millers for optics, still for some reason take off that fucking rear sight whenever they, they mill it. I don't know why. I guess it's maybe a personal preference for some people. I don't know. Um, it is. But- and I mean, there, there's there's nothing wrong with having that personal preference. The problem is, in my opinion, like, uh, one, when you're using the plate for the rear sight, now you're, you're, you're putting everything on that plate. You're putting your entire, your entire sighting solution onto the plate. And the point of having the backup irons is to have a backup sighting system. Well, if your optic goes to shit or your plate goes to shit, well, now you have nothing that you can use. You know, okay, you're so, effectively using the front sight. But just because your plate went to shit. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, in general, like, if, if something goes on with the plate, 
or if it gets bent, because there's going to be a lip underneath where the rear sight is. So, so if uh, it gets bent for whatever reason. See, here's the thing, though, is that what we've seen from the last five years now, roughly, has been wide-scale adopt- um, adoption of red dots on pistols. Um, so about 10 years ago, you first start kind of seeing them hit the decks. Right. Now everybody's got one. And I think if you're buying quality, if you're buying a quality red dot, I would feel fairly comfortable not having iron sights, or at least not having a rear sight on my guns. Um, I think that the modern red dots are, I mean, again, civilian side, law enforcement, a little heavier use, better to have options. But like, just kind of like, I don't put iron sights on most of my rifles anymore. I feel confident that a quality red dot is going to do the job for Um So I, I can kind of see that as, as, a, as a machining, as reducing machining costs and reducing production expenses is not having one more cut on every slide and one more set of sights on every slide. If you do decide, and it does help save some real estate for some of these designs, because when you put in that rear sight, you got to think about what your firing pin channel is, yep. your safety plunger, other parts, your uh, extractor channel in some cases, and that can that can make a huge difference in how that gun actually can be assembled if you just omit that rear sight dovetail entirely. Well, and something else that I was going to say, you know, you said the MSRP was going to be six ninety nine, so it's putting it right there at the Glock market itself. Yeah. Um, now, but- to me, I think that. I'm with Eric. They had to have cut some corners because there was, what was it, like Zev or somebody made an aluminum frame Glock style pistol and its price was like fucking, what was it, like twelve to $1,500? Oh, now, the, are you thinking about the uh, oh, Atom 8 or something a, like that? A, Apex or... Yeah, some, it was something like that. Yeah, it, it, was, it, it, was an, it was a name brand everybody knew. You yeah. know, we knew that it was going to be good shit, but it was in the price range that nobody could afford. Yep. And then Lone Wolf came along, did the same thing, tried to bring it at a price point, you know, kind of below what a normal Glock was. But like Eric said, they cut so many courses, uh, you know, corners that it was just shit. Yeah. And it ended up dying out because of that. You know, uh, fucking Rock Island and Arms Corps, I think they're going to be along that same line because it's not like a 1911 where. You know, it's so standardized and they were made to be mass produced to save, you know, consumer, you know, to save taxpayers costs for war. You know, the Glocks were made specifically for heavy duty use and, you know, they're, you know, you can't cut corners on them. Otherwise, it's the same thing like with AKs. You know, if you try and cut corners on AKs, their reliability and, and stuff like that becomes an issue because it was designed this specific way because, you know, it's made to be reliable, and I think that's where Rock Island's going to fuck up. So something, I mean, something Glock has going for them is the reason the Glocks are so reliable is that they hold to a very certain standard of tolerances. Yeah. And if you start with a Glock frame, you start with a Glock slide and a Glock barrel, you can swap out a lot of those other parts with aftermarket stuff because the aftermarket stuff knows to work within these certain tolerances. The further you diverge from that, the more opportunities there are to make a mistake. And this is yeah. one of the reasons that I tell people if you're going to drop like a new disconnector in your Glock, don't plan on the first one necessarily working. Now, this this works for Glock because Glock can sit there and they say they hand a, a, a frame and a slide to a, an armor on the line and say, put this gun together, and he's got a bin of disconnectors. He's got a bin of plungers. He's got a bin of springs. And if one doesn't quite fit, he picks up another one, and he keeps going until they fit. But when you start doing stuff like this, they don't have, you know, Rock Island doesn't have the economy of scale that the Glock factories do in Smyrna and in Austria. They don't have the economy of scale from all these uh, that, that some of these other manufacturers have acquired. They're trying to build everything in-house and capture part of a market share that is so thoroughly dominated that they're coming up 
30 years behind the power curve trying to make the same gun that somebody else is already making better. That's mm. a that is a hell of a lot of work to try and compete against. Absolutely. It really is. I mean, I, to be honest, I do kind of hope that it that it survives because I hope it paves the way for a Hudson Hype 9 that's not the Hudson Hype 9 because I'd really like to have a very simplistic, striker-fired, compact-sized handgun that's metal-framed. You can get aftermarket aluminum frames your clocks. Oh, yeah, I've heard that they're iffy on whether or not they're actually going to work properly, though, fit properly, Acting tolerances, that's, that's something we've talked about, and Glocks yep. were designed anticipating a certain amount of flex and certain tolerances in the in the in the spacing when you introduce aluminum you reduce the flex you reduce the accommodations there and but that's why you have gunsmiths too I and mean, that's why dropping a 1911 barrel into a 1911 is not a trivial is, is a non-trivial task you know to do it pro- i mean i could take a, a cheap one i could grab like one from the philippines slap a linkage into it throw it in your gun it'll run for probably a few hundred rounds till maybe the linkage breaks or something or i can hand fit one and fitting a 1911 barrel, three to four hours of work to do it right. And just like Eric was saying, you know, it, it's the tolerances. Because, I mean, if you look at a video of uh, slow-mo of a Glock firing, that fucking takedown lever, the way it shakes and jiggles, you would think that the thing's going to just fall apart. But it doesn't just because of the fact that right. it's made for those tolerances. It's a pretty cool little video. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, are you fucking serious? That happens every time I shoot that some bitch." It'd still be nice, though. It'd it'd be nice to have something like the Hudson Hype 9 that was sized like a Glock 19 that used some standardized parts. Yeah. And I hope, I I, I hope, I'm hopeful that as much as I don't like this gun, the STK 100 leads us down that path. More competition can only be a good thing. Absolutely. Well, if y'all ain't got nothing else uh, in regards to product news and reviews, we're actually going to skip the gun culture segment because I believe you guys got cultured the fuck enough uh, when me and Nathan were, you know, geeking out on history shit and John Moses Browning. So we'll skip that and we'll go straight into the closing segment. Irresponsible. Too many obstacles. You got to stop it, though. You got to take it slow. You can't be a pro. Don't waste your time no more. Who the fuck are you to tell me what to do? I don't give a damn if you say you disapprove. I'm going to make my move. I'm going to make a suit. And I'll do it cause it's what I wanna fucking do Cause all these opinions and all these positions They come in in millions, they block in your vision But no, you can't listen, that shit is all fiction Cause you hold the power as long as you're trying to make it There's no way that you make it And maybe you can fake it well, guys, I want to greet you. greatly appreciate you guys listening into another episode of the 2A Lifestyle. Again, check us out on social media. You can find 2A Lifestyle on Instagram, Twitter, MeWe, Facebook, all under 2A Lifestyle. Uh, you can check out Mike at Just Pews on Instagram and Facebook. And on Instagram, you can check him out on Cat Actual. Uh, you can check out Eric at Nelson Gunsmithing at Facebook. Uh, also on Patreon, and you can check out all three of us at JustPews.com, where we lend some insight into what you know people might have questions. I guess you could say in regards to the gun community. Uh, so you can check out uh, all of our you know collective knowledge there. Uh, also check us out on Patreon as well to a lifestyle podcast. Anything you guys give us is greatly appreciated. It is used directly into this podcast to make it better. Uh, as you can see, we are actually uh, Mike. I don't don't want to inflate your ego but i'm telling you you have brought in more listeners and downloads every month 
So, you know, I don't want to stroke it too hard for you that you bust a nut, but I want to greatly appreciate you coming on, Eric. Uh, your insightfulness, you know, anytime that you want to come on, man, you're more than welcome to hop on. I'll tell you what, I will post the uh, meetup link every time in the um, the group chat that we got. So if you want to, you can just hop on whenever you want, man. Uh, I greatly appreciate you coming on. Oh, 100%, dude. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to help people with uh, kind of those niggling little gunsmith questions. I know it's... Yeah, I know for a lot of people. I'm sorry, I'm gonna circle back real fast. I know uh, you talked about the the thing with uh, Top Shot and uh, Mr. Chang. I know there's a lot of people out there who are new to guns, new to gun culture. They don't have a local gunsmith. They don't have a place they can go and a chair they can claim, and you can sit down and shoot the shit with somebody for a couple hours and learn how to. I had somebody ask me, "What's the right way to unload a pistol? Like how how do you how do you extract the bullet when you're racking the slide?" And I had to explain to them how to do this. And so if you're new to the industry, if you don't understand something technical, something about the use of a firearm, come find us. Come to 2A. Come to TACCAT. Come to Nelson Gunsmithing. We are happy to help you and get you going and get you educated and point you at more resources to further your education as a gun owner. And something else we are all on is Discord. Uh, 2A Lifestyle, Just yes. Peace TACCAT, and Nelson Gunsmithing. Uh, I know, uh, Eric, you're on Nelson, the Discord, uh, quite a bit. If you have those kind of questions, I would recommend go to uh, Nelson or myself because uh, I only got, like, me and one other fucking person on Discord. So, uh, But I know on uh, TACCAT and Just Pews, uh you know, Mike has some more colorful characters. So if you ask how to unload a pistol, you might get some more smart ass remarks than you would uh, either in me or Eric's Discord. So I'm not, I'm not saying don't join his Discord. I'm just saying, you know, be prepared to be, you know, <laughs> shit talked, is all I'm saying. So and also, like, the, and you can also find the Just Pews Discord on the website, which Eric's in it and Nick's in it. So if you got questions and you, and you just want one central place to go, you can find us there too. Absolutely. And then uh, if you haven't already, just subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast that we can keep up with new episodes as they come out and leave us a review. Uh, If you don't have iTunes, just download it. Leave us a review. You can delete the motherfucker as soon as you're done. Uh, It just helps other people that are looking for gun related content find us. Uh, And with that, gents, man, I love this Tiki Bar fucking background. Yeah, I do too. You might have started something that I don't know if you can... uh, Put back, you know, put that genie back in the box. I know I'm not gonna be able to, and it definitely does not relate to the big blue wow, dude. Well, no, I didn't even think about that. I just was thinking, man, this is right. kind of cool. Damn, right? I wasn't layers. even thinking about that. Look at you, god damn, cancel culture now, motherfucker. Gonna... Jeez, guys, I appreciate you coming on, and until then, y'all enjoy that 2A lifestyle, and see you guys in two weeks. Peace. fast from the sky from the